0: This is episode 11 of Alohomora, for September 9th, 2012. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Alohomora. I'm Caleb Graves.
1: I'm Rosie Morris. And I'm Kat Miller. And our special guest this week is Matthew Ziff. Um, For those of you that don't know him, he's an actor and a badass Quidditch player for University of Miami. So say hey to everyone, Matt.
2: Hello. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Yeah. Thanks for for joining us.
1: Um, Tell us a little bit about your experience in London. Um, I'm very anxious to hear about it.
2: Okay. Um, So, you guys know I went to London and played for the U.S. uh, Quidditch team in the summer games and it was crazy like it was so much fun everybody was really nice and really cool and it's just I mean it's what happens when you get 20 I think we were 24 from our team plus however many people there were for the other team so probably 50 to 100 people together who are all like-minded who all really want to have a lot of fun and go and play Quidditch I mean what's better than that
1: oh that sounds awesome yeah
2: it was it was really a blast. Um, we really everybody had a fantastic time. We got to play some really good Quidditch, uh, and we're exci- we were really excited to be there.
1: And you guys took home the gold, so
0: yeah, started off a good tradition for the the Olympics. <laughs> just golds all around. <laughs> so, so Matthew, what are you what are your thoughts on Quidditch becoming an Olympic sport? Do you think it will ever happen? Do you think it's a good idea? What do you think?
2: I think. Um, at the moment, I don't think it's ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of the publicity that was done uh, talked about possibly wanting to become an Olympic sport. And I think, wow, that would, well, that would be amazing. Uh, I think that we should focus more on having like all the teams getting a lot of younger people to play also. Um, but if it was in the Olympics, I mean, that would be pretty freaking cool. <laughs>
0: yeah, I agree. Well, maybe we'll see it in the future, then, as it gets Hopefully. bigger.
1: Hope so. Yeah. We'll see.
0: All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump into um, the episode for this week. So we'll start, as usual, commenting on the getting you guys' comments from our discussion from the previous episode when we kicked off Chamber of Secrets with the first two chapters. So the first comment comes from the main site, and this is on the topic of Dudley and Harry being BFFs, and the user is Hulk Harry. Harry and Dudley are more like brothers than cousins. They have lived together almost their whole lives. I think deep down, Dudley does care about Harry, but was afraid to show it because of his parents. Vernon and Petunia show both extremes of bad parenting. Dudders probably isn't aware how bad his and Harry's relationship really is, as I have known a few siblings, more common with brother-sister, who fight all the time and seem to hate each other, but eventually grow out of it.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure Dudley hates Harry at all but yeah I, I agree with this comment actually totally I think that Dudley does in some way care for Harry and is just totally afraid to show it because I mean he shows his true colors in the last book right so
0: yeah
3: I think he grows to care about Harry more I don't know if he necessarily cares about him all that much at this point point. Um, and the idea of them being more like brothers than cousins I think you know Dudley's grown up this in his entire life with having this extra boy in his house that isn't his parents child um i think there's a certain amount of kind of i don't want to say jealousy because obviously it's not because harry's mistreated but there's that kind of idea of the person that shouldn't be there um and i think that plays a big part in their relationship when they're young like dudley is the the true child and harry is just the extra that doesn't really count
2: yeah, I agree with that. There's a, a lot of evidence for that in the books. You kind of see that Harry doesn't really get treated as well. And maybe, um, yeah, yeah, I agree with that.
0: <laughs> but, but Rosie, he, they've been together since, I mean, as far as Dudley can remember. Do you think that's still um, that much of an issue? It's not like, you know, Harry came 10 years into Dudley's life. They were there together almost from birth.
3: Yeah, but they were treated differently from birth as well. I mean, the whole time, they were never treated like siblings. They were never given equal treatment in that way. Even though they were together, they were always kept separate.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I do agree with this person's comment, though, that, you know, they fight all the time eventually grow out of it I can remember how much me my my brother and I fought when we were younger I mean it was terrible like he dislocated (laughs) one of my fingers I put a hole in his head we we, were we were rough but like my brother's my one of my best friends now so I definitely can (laughs) relate to this point wow Sorry, a little snippet of my life. (laughs) And we're going to move on before people think I'm abusive. So the next next comment um, is about the uh, synopsis that we uh, read for Chamber of Secrets. And this comes from the forums from Zero Regredians. I have Bloomsbury at British editions of the books because those are the ones sold here in Australia. The summary on the back is not the same as the one you guys read out on the show. This is what the British version says. Harry Potter is a wizard. He is in his second year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Little does he know that this year will be just as eventful as the last. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, that's
3: what's on the back of my copy. interesting.
0: So that's all it says?
3: That's all it says, and then there's two quotes um, about from uh, newspapers about Joe's writing. Wow. That's, that's incredibly short. Yeah,
0: that's yeah, so that much is. more vague than us. But I, I I think that kind of makes sense. You know, thinking about what you've mentioned um, about the the adult versions of the UK books, Rosie, how they're kind of um, not as over the top, um, and they I think that sort of fits into that characteristic of British edition.
3: Yeah, this is the the children's edition though that has the the short um, oh, okay. short blurb on the back. Oh,
4: but okay. it, I think it's
3: mainly because. Um, half of the, the back cover is actually taken up by a, a gorgeous watercolour of Hogwarts. So I think the the picture kind of takes precedent over the writing here.
2: Well, that kind of makes up for it. <laughs>
3: What's the adult version say? Does it say anything? Um, I don't know. I don't actually have the adult version. Um, but they didn't come out until a few years after the, I think, after um, Prisoner of Azkaban came out. Um, so oh, right, right.
0: That's so interesting. As a selling
3: point, it's it's very little to go on.
0: Yeah. Huh.
3: Yeah, I mean, it gives no
1: hints whatsoever.
3: No. I wonder huh. if the hardback has a different blurb. Because the, the paperbacks would have come out kind of by the time that the, the craze had already started. I think the hardback might have been kind of a harder sell.
2: Right. Maybe they thought that uh, at this point people already sort of knew uh i mean maybe from the first one read from the first couple reading and then seeing this they said okay well we know sort of what to expect already a little bit
3: it's possible yeah and
0: on that note it's kind of interesting that they sort of expect that with the british audience but apparently not so much with the american audience because we get so much more (laughs)
1: So. Well, I mean, it just kind of plays into everything. You know, we keep saying they think Americans are dumb. Maybe that's it.
0: That's true. That's
1: true. <laughs> we cool. just need more, you know, we need more recap. So.
0: All right. Well, thanks for bringing that up. And our our next comment comes from one of our moderators on the forums, KaiKid942, and it's about Harry's location and Dobby. And he says, Harry's address wasn't really a secret. He was getting mail delivered by Alpost, so Hogwarts had his address. And remember that Lucius was on the board for Hogwarts at this time, and so could have easily gotten access. His friends had his address, and the ministry had his address. For all we know, there is the equivalent of a phone book for wizards, listing name, address, and flu network names. Diagon Alley, The Borough, Diagon Alley, A.K. Nocturne <laughs> Alley, etc. That can be used.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I never really thought of that, I guess. Yeah. Wouldn't that be really dangerous for Harry, though? I mean, surely he's there to be protected from all of the dark wizards. Even if it's not Voldemort, there's still a lot of his followers that would have been kind of after him. Yeah.
2: That's yeah. That's really interesting. Hmm. Now, something that I've always wondered about, but how do the owls know where to go? <laughs> Anybody ever think about that? Like they know exactly where to go
3: they're smart? Uh, I don't
0: know. I guess they kind of always took it for granted.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: We've talked about this before, haven't we, with the idea of owls and the flu network. And, like, they're just incredibly talented. (laughs) For some reason.
0: (laughs) So says Joe.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, that works, I guess.
3: But I guess (laughs) the owls have always... They've always kind of represented knowledge and that kind of intelligence. So... Perhaps they just have that extra knowledge that they need. Yeah, like the, the wise old owl, I guess. Yeah, yeah
0: that hmm. makes sense. Yeah, but... I, I think it's interesting, the, the, the possibility of a phone book. Can you imagine that in the wizarding world?
1: <laughs> I, imagine, I wonder how large it would be. Would it be for everyone in the wizarding world or just in like, the UK area?
0: And maybe it's really fast. Like you can just open it up and say the name, and it pops. It pops up on the page. Oh, maybe magic.
3: That'd be cool. It's magic. But I Is still, it Google. I, like, Google.
0: <laughs> I still don't
1: think Harry's address would be in there.
3: No, me neither. Probably
0: Definitely not. not at,
2: they're trying to keep it a secret.
3: Yeah. Not in private drive. Yeah.
2: But then,
0: if the government has control over what can go in there and what can't, hmm. I don't know oh, how I feel about that.
3: I think the government would have his location because obviously they need to know to keep an eye on him, but I don't think general wizards would have access to that. Yeah. But then, like, Dobby and House Elves have their own branch of magic, as we'll find out later on um, in, in our chapter discussion. Um, that's what the the Weasleys say, so Dobby might have some kind of location magic.
1: Hmm. All right, well, let's just move on. <laughs> we'll, uh, now we're going to recap the special feature last week, which was Noah's close read. And we talked about all the instances in the first couple chapters where the Dursleys were compared to animals. And we got a great comment, um, again, from Zero ingredients on the forums. It says, Joe likes describing people as animals, and not just with the Dursleys. We have people like Scrimgeour, who is described as a lion. Pettigrew looks quite rat-like. Voldemort is snake-like. Madame Hooch has yellow hawk eyes, etc., etc. I like the idea of this as something Harry has picked up from the Dursleys. He compares people to animals, but then that kind of contradicts how he refers to Dobby as someone versus something on his bed earlier. So it might just be something Joe likes to do and not a reflection on Harry.
0: All right, well, I think it is interesting that, you know, he does refer to Dobby as, quote, someone, and then we have all these other animal comparisons going on for the actual humans. It's kind of an interesting dynamic.
1: And there's so many of them. I mean, when I was reading um, today's chapters, which, again, we'll get to, I just kept finding more and more and more, and I think since we've talked about it, they're kind of jumping out at me now.
4: Mm -hmm. I think
3: it's a a good way of describing people for children's books because children will know the animal qualities more than they'll know kind of a vast um, amount of descriptive words at this point. So by describing people as animal-like... It really gives them that kind of idea of that particular quality.
2: Something to connect with easier.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a way of simplifying for children.
2: Yeah, it's
0: very basic imager- imagery, so it helps.
3: But it also makes it more magical because of what we know about transfiguration.
0: Yeah, that's true.
2: I never really realized. I never. Uh, I guess I just didn't notice all of these when I was reading, but that's now that it's pointed out like this, it's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the next comment we got is, again from the forums. It's um, Calais, 2011. And here she says, "Did anyone else notice that the first words we hear from Dudley are, "I want more bacon." <laughs> kind of funny, considering he was half transfigured into a pig less than a year ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is pretty funny, and I must say, I always want more bacon, so yeah. <laughs> bacon I just la-
1: I never noticed I mean that's pretty much the first book, I mean, the first line of um, like dialogue in the book.
0: And that's kind of where we left Dudley, I guess, other than the end of the book where we don't get much, but we kind of leave him in this state where he's a pig.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty funny. It was a good comment.
0: So, Rosie, you weren't on the show last time. Did you have any thoughts about you know, how she, she uses the, the animals other than kind of what you mentioned you know, for imagery? Did you notice it reading back through?
3: Um yeah definitely especially with my my chapter from later on there's a a nice moment where Molly is described as um I think it's either like tiger like or panther like something like a, a wild cat um and yeah I think it's it's really interesting way of bringing those characters to life in a way that that young children will understand um because I don't know about other countries, but we've definitely got a lot of wildlife shows on our kind of television screens um, in England. So we've got a lot of that kind of reference material that children will actually have seen. Um, But it also gives them that kind of extra quality. It really does, you know, bring them that kind of magical side, especially with all of the kind of Patronus and Animagus magic that we see. Everyone is kind of related to an animal in some kind of way. Um, And it's a nice way of kind of complimenting that. But at the same time, I mean, the comment earlier said about Dobby being referred to as someone rather than something. And I think that that is a reflection on Harry. That is Harry seeing a magical creature as a person and not just a magical creature. There is a different, different association with that than there is with the the animal descriptions.
0: Yeah, I think that was a really conscious choice by by Rowling when she you know, use that instead of saying something or whatever else Harry might have said. I agree.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
2: It'd be interesting to see, um, how like the centaurs, cent- centaurs, there you go. And all the other animal, like the trolls or any, um, thing like that, that he sees to see if he refers to them as someone or something instead. Hmm. Yeah. Might be true. an interesting thing to check.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. And just thinking more She uses animals so much as we know And I'm just trying to think I can't think of another author or Another book that I've read Where it's so prevalent like it is with these Now that I'm thinking about it more I mean, I know we talked about Animal Farm last episode But that's kind of an obvious one Because of the nature of the book But she definitely uses it more than any author I think I can at least think of right now
1: Yeah, definitely Yeah, again, except for like the obvious books
0: Right yeah. Hmm
3: I think there is a lot of animal description, definitely in English literary history. Um, I'm a, a medievalist, um, medieval specialist when I come to literature, so I've I've done a lot of kind of Chaucer and things like that, um, and the the Canterbury Tales. A lot of the people in that do have animal descriptions. Um, there's sort of the the pardoner whose tail, whose hair is rat-like. You've got a lot of these, especially rats, actually. Rats have a huge association in literature because they always were considered as, like, plague bringers and things like that. Or you've got, um, I guess, the idea of kind of ravens and cats and things in gothic literature. Um, Things like Edgar Allan Poe and the raven. You've got all those kind of things that I think she's drawing on with her, her animal imagery. So it's a very British thing, then, is what you're saying? Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Maybe you guys just don't have enough animals. <laughs> Maybe. I, th-
0: I think I told you guys this at LeakyCon, but we had to read um, some of the Canterbury Tales in Middle English when I was a senior in high school, and I had to memorize the the prologue for yeah. my teacher. Oh, wow! <laughs> and I still, ha- it's one of those things that you just memorize and you don't ever lose. So I still have it for the most part memorized. Let's hear it. I don't think I want to do it right now, though. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Come on. <sighs> I on, remember that opera with the shortest the of March hath through the Ruta. I'm not gonna go through the whole thing because it's really long. But the last <laughs> line, speaking
3: in tongues, the last
0: line is the best because of the the bounce of the line. The holy blissful yeah. martyr for Tisica, that him hath holpen. One that they were Sika Yeah, Whoa. that's really yeah. cool. <laughs> Love it. So that's for you, Miss um, Furtick If you We'll never hear the show, but if she did, she would be really she would be really happy for about that. So Good job. <laughs> Thanks for humoring me and as I go back to high school.
3: Mm-hmm. Anytime. <laughs> well, as you just said, I wasn't on the show last week. Um, but we had Noah's posed question for the week. Um so I shall now go through some of the answers that we got for that. Um so the question itself was as we know from the quotes uh sorry, as we know from quotes from JK Rowling and our knowledge of the series house elf magic is oftentimes described as different from the magic of humans our question to you this week is simply how so did dubby's different magic enable him to slip through the fidelius charm protecting harry and let him fool from father hopkirk
0: so before we jump into responses i didn't really say anything about this last week because i was hoping people would you know cook up whatever responses they want but I don't think the Dursleys' house is actually under the Fidelius Charm, right? Because I mean, it's yeah, never really—it's so. not ever really—it's m- not really ever mentioned. And I mean, if you think about all the people who have access, the, the Dursleys' neighbors would never know where they are. The Masons yeah. wouldn't be able to get there. For I mean, even the postman. So maybe that was just Noah cooking up this, and we just let him run with it.
1: Yeah, prob- <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think we were all still in like a fog of sickness last week, so that's true. We probably just didn't. It didn't... Uh, so we
0: have some true fans out there, you know, angry because we just went against canon, but still some good responses, so we're going to go through them, yeah?
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is from the main site, and again, it's from Zero Ingredients, and it says, So how is Half-Elf magic different to Wizarding magic? Well, magic would be a type of energy, right? I think it's similar to to how there are different types of light. So there are different types of magic. I think it's different just because the magic is being produced by a different species. Just as their bodies and cultures are different from wizards, so is their magic. So their magic is all, isn't always bound by the limitations and constraints that wizarding magic is.
0: Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. That makes sense. I mean, I think we definitely know there's that difference in magic, and it's interesting to relate it to, for, I guess, yeah, bodies and culture.
2: Um, it's really interesting. That like about the different types of light thing, but I think uh, the different species part is a lot. It is a lot more maybe. That's how it is. Is there evidence that other species besides humans and house elves can use magic? Is that some? Did you guys ever pick up on anything like that? Because maybe others are different. Have it different also.
0: We see goblins doing magic. Um, at least some. Yeah. It's not yeah. really put into much description. We don't really ever see centaurs doing much magic.
3: Mm. I guess their prophecy is yeah. a kind of magic, but right. But that's more reading it's, the stars. It's
0: not more. Um, in your face for lack of better phrasing
2: so then that would so then that would make sense to different species so like you just said the the um prophecy or the house elves and the goblins and the humans all have different types of magic right that's pretty cool
3: i guess we have things like pixies as well but they i guess their real magic is just kind of flight and things so it really depends on what we define as magic um and i guess that was what they mean by the kind of different different types of light you've got different types of magic as we would define them i guess in a spectrum yeah that's true i like that yeah i do too spectrum the spectrum of magic yeah <laughs> cool okay we've got a another comment from i think it's clover lover um and this is also from the main site and it says the most visible difference between house elf magic and wizarding magic is that house elf magic doesn't require a wand both have some kind of inner power but wizards need to channel it into one area in order to perform spells.
1: Right. I mean wizards are the only the only species I guess on the spectrum that carry wands. So yeah, obviously there's kinds of magic that don't require wands. And even wizards can't they do wandless magic? But it's said that it's, it's very difficult though, right?
0: Right.
3: Right. Yeah. Like the wand is kind of like a conduit that allows them to perform the magic whereas house elves and kind of goblins and things seem to be able to tap into it without the need Maybe it's cuz they
1: have long pointy fingers. <laughs>
0: <It's> <laughs> their fingers, the fingers are
2: their wands.
3: That's right. Yeah.
1: Because, you know the goblins use their fingers to open the doors in Gringotts? So
0: That's true.
3: They've got kind of like a magical touch. Right. Hmm. Ooh, I've thought of another another magic like dementors and their their magical kiss. Does that count okay, as magic?
0: Yeah. yeah. So they have to get some good lip gloss going for their magic, <laughs> to be primed, magic to be primed up. And for the centaurs, it's just having a really elegant mane. That's where their power is.
3: <laughs> so we've got a comment from our forums by CentaurSeeker121. And it says, I think JKR said that house elves had their own brand of magic, but what effect does having to serve a family have on that magic? Are they restricted to just using their magic for menial tasks? When Dobby was serving the Malfoys, all of his attempts to help Harry failed. The intercepted mail, crashing um, of the pudding dish, uh, closing the barrier at nine and three quarters, tampering with the bludger, etc. Whereas after Harry tricked Lucius into freeing him, Dobby was able to openly blast him away when he tried to hurt Harry. So do you think wizards put restrictions on House of Magic?
2: Maybe they're bound to some sort of contract... Um, that does limit their magic. A blood contract. So that, like, they can't hurt their master or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, I can't imagine it being set up to where they're able to go after their their masters. Or else we probably would have seen Creature, you know, (laughs) messing with Sirius, trying to, like, kill him or something.
1: But, I mean, there are obviously loopholes
3: because Creature does pretty much disobey
0: yeah us. I think that's what they try to do you know Creature
3: never actually disobeys though does he he just
0: just complains a lot
3: interprets yeah
0: yeah that's yeah I think they well yeah he of...
3: finds the loophole yeah yeah how about when house elves have to punish themselves for doing wrong do you reckon that's a, a magically influenced kind of punishment or is it just house elves having a strong sense of guilt
0: ooh that's a good question because my first instinct was it's magically bound but then i was like it might be guilt because that's kind of the the vibe i get from dobby in that first scene we see him with harry
3: right and and also from winky later on when she's kind of punishing herself by by drinking right that's not going to be a magically influenced thing because it's (laughs) it's not actually yeah a kind of a real punishment it's just her doing it to herself
0: they're just they're just Raised in this self-deprecating environment.
3: Yeah, it's, it's ingrained
1: in them. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's both, honestly. I do. I think it also depends on how long the house elf has been with the family. I feel like you'd have less yeah. guilt if you, if the house elf was only there, you know, a couple months, as opposed to his whole family for four generations had served the family.
4: Yeah.
3: We've got another comment from Socks for Dobby, which is a perfect username for this <laughs> discussion. Um, and it says as for Dobby getting past the Fidelius charm this may be a bit of a stretch but in a house elf if a house elf in Hogwarts heard Dumbledore talking about where Harry was then maybe that house elf would be a secret keeper and if Dobby talked to that house elf then he could be a secret keeper too house elves probably know and see way more than people give them credit for just like the staff in manners and mansions in old English novels the maids and staff knew and saw everything they were just really loyal usually and didn't talk to the people outside house elves are bound to their families and so have a sort of forced loyalty but they are also probably but they also probably know a ton of things dobby broke his loyalty to the malfoys by trying to protect harry and could have done the same thing and told another house elf who also wanted to make sure harry was safe so that all relies on Noah's mistake, but it's an well, interesting idea.
0: <laughs> I mean, even though they, it isn't under the Fidelius charm, it's still a really valid point because they obviously know a lot and that, that argument still holds that. And I really like the comparison to um, the staff in, in manors and mansions, so like maids and butlers, they obviously hear overhear a lot and their loyalty to the family, however much it may be, sort of holds them back from yeah. spilling too much.
1: But that obviously wasn't Dobby's case, because...
0: Right. You know. <laughs> Dobby's the exception to the rule in almost every case of house elves.
3: <laughs> yeah, that is very true. <laughs> but I think that idea holds really strongly when you come to see Creature, because he's kind of forced to be loyal to the name of Black, even though he doesn't want to be. Um, so eventually he will break his loyalty, but in a way that is still loyal to the family, because yeah. he go to the Malfoys rather than... Right. anything else.
0: Even though Sirius is scratched off the family tree, he still does.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And our last comment is from NightStrike91 on the forums, and it says, Dobby apparating to Harry in that scene without having, without having to is why I brought that particular scene up. To firstly make the point that house elves seem to be able to apparate to people rather than locations seen more times with Creature, and secondly to show that Dobby could come to without any could come to without any master's call to me that to that together with the scene from chamber of secrets fits into this theory that elf and magic sorry fits into the theory of the elf and magic being capable of operating to persons directly instead of locations without the master elf bond
0: that's a really clever point
3: yeah
1: so i think they're talking about here about a much further scene in one of the later books i believe but yeah the the, the point makes sense i I guess I never thought about the fact that they can operate to people rather than locations.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because every time we sort of see it broken, that's, you know, our expectation of the limitations of wizards. That's what they're doing. They're operating to people.
1: Yeah. It's like they've got some um like telepathic, you know, capability where the wizard can call on them and they just
0: Especially if they're appear. they're the master, you know. As we right. see with with creature. And Dobby, for that matter. But, well, I guess not so much with Dobby. We don't ever really see him operating for the Malfoys. But definitely with Creature.
3: Right. I think Dobby always sees Harry as a kind of master, whether he is or not, as well. I think yeah, he, so it's he wants sort of an to serve one. Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's, like, this kind of idea of a call, which is a need. So whenever their master needs anything, the house elf can feel it? Do you think that might be something? So, like, they... It doesn't matter where their master is, they will always be able to transport to that person.
1: Kind of, like, instinctual, you mean?
2: Yeah. They have, like, a bond with them.
1: I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I wonder how that works.
3: I guess with wizarding apparitions, they need to visualize the place that they have to transport to. Maybe house elves can just visualize that person. Maybe wizards could, too, if they tried. We don't know. Um but they just need to visualize that one person that they want to go to and then no matter where they are, that's where they'll go. I feel
1: like if wizards could do that, Voldemort would have figured out a way to do it. <laughs> like, True.
2: <laughs> yeah, because we don't ever see any uh, wizards, like human wizards, do that.
3: But then wizards don't pay any t- attention to their house elves. So maybe if they did, they would learn something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that comes up time and time again in the books, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. It could be a new branch of magic that's waiting to be discovered. Someone get on that, right?
0: Do it. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's uh, jump
1: right into the chapters that we're going to be discussing this week, and they are chapters three and four, The Burrow and Flourish and Blots.
3: So I have got the chapter of The Burrow this week, which I'm really happy about. Um, And we start off with The Weasleys Outside of Harry's Bedroom Window. Which is always fun. Who wouldn't want a Weasley appearing in a flying car outside their bedroom, whisking them away on an adventure? I would take it, yep.
0: Think if that happened to you tomorrow, if a ca- a flying car just showed up outside your window. How
2: excited would you be?
0: <laughs> I would probably pass out.
3: It's the perfect start to any story, isn't it? Yeah. I I My house is, you know, one level, so...
0: Yeah, I'm on the first floor of my apartment complex, Yeah, so it's exciting. But I would <laughs> It'd be probably,
1: a really low-flying car. if it
0: gets that six inches off the ground, I am stoked about
1: it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly.
3: <laughs> I missed last week's discussion, but did you guys... What is the front cover of the Chamber of Secrets in your in your books? Because for us in England, it is the, the flying car, with only Harry and Ron and Hedwig inside it. But that's from from later on, of course.
0: It's in it's in the ch- in the Chamber of Secrets. Harry holding on the Fox.
3: Okay, I just think like the the image of the flying car on the front cover of Chamber of Secrets for us is just is going to make any little boy want to read the book, isn't it? I mean, we've just said that that would be the perfect start to any adventure, and that is exactly the image that we're presented with on the cover.
1: Yeah, your co- your covers are a lot more subtle. Yeah, than <laughs> than ours. Ours jump right to the point.
2: Yep. <laughs> So that goes along with our really long descriptions, too. Yeah. Yes, totally.
3: exactly. <laughs> but yes, we start with, with Ron um, and Harry having a conversation through the bars on his window. Um, and we discover that Ron has been writing letters all throughout the summer. Um, when did Dobby actually give Harry his letters, though? You know, Has Harry really not been able to contact them back in any way? Is it just because Hedwig's been locked up? Well, I mean,
1: how long was Harry locked up? Three. It, it says three Even days. Three it days. says three days later. So.
0: Yeah, he has no way to get back to them because Hedwig is yeah. locked up. So. So
1: he's probably read them, but just can't write back. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. In that case, how did Dobby get hold of the letters? Where I mean, surely owls are meant to be delivering to that one person.
0: He tackled the owl and beat it to a bloody pulp. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh my gosh.
0: He stole them. So
3: maybe it's not Errol's fault. That's actually
0: what happened to Errol. Er- Errol was a perfectly fine owl until Dobby got a hold of him. <laughs> That's why I can't fly anymore.
1: <laughs> oh no. So do you think he like sat outside Harry's window?
0: Yep. Like his true stalker. And
1: collected the letters. Yeah. <laughs> with those big green tennis ball eyes.
0: Creepy. Harry has no idea how many nights he slept with those eyes watching him.
3: <laughs> oh my god.
0: <laughs> Very creepy.
3: Okay, Lovely. moving swiftly on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we finally discover a bit more about the Weasley family, and we learn that Arthur works for the ministry. Um, and there's actually been a Hank Green song recently about the fact that there's only a few workplaces in the Wizarding World, like you can only work for the ministry, Gringotts or Hogwarts. Why are there so few workplaces that we've, we find out about in the Wizarding World?
0: Oh, well, I think there's what plenty more. Think? We just, it's not immediately important to the story, so we don't hear as much about it.
1: Yeah, I I like to think that there's a lot of like freelance positions like you can write and you can, you know, uh, work for experimental lab companies and make broomsticks, that type of stuff. Yeah,
0: because we hear of all sorts of companies through the series that are operating in Diagon Alley.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think those are probably just the big ones. You know,
2: yeah, they're just really the most important for to for the story.
0: Yeah, just like it is in the States. I mean, you know, we're obviously immersed with government, media, and school, so.
3: Right. Fair enough. We just really like to know more about kind of simpler wizarding jobs. Yeah. (laughs) So how much has Harry told his friends about the Dursleys? I mean, did Ron never really suspect what was happening to Harry when he never replied? He seems really surprised that, Harry's just not been writing back, even though he's just arrived with bars in front of the window.
1: I think that Ron is so used to his cushy, happy life that you know, thought being thought about you know, trapped behind bars in your bedroom would never occur to him. Ever. I just,
0: just think. There were some nights in the Gryffindor Common Room where Harry just started bawling in his four poster bed and he only had Ron to tell his horror stories from the Dursleys. So Ron I'm kidding, guys. This didn't happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, it did in some fan fiction somewhere. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the slash kind.
0: Oh, oh no, kind. I w- yeah. no, I was not going there, but now I probably just ignited that. I
2: just meant, like, Harry's, like, reliving his horror stories. Anyway.
1: <laughs> <it>.
2: <laughs> he had to, at some point, have told his friends about them just for the fact that they probably asked, like, if if you were to actually see like about all the times that you don't see them in the books. Like what are they doing? And in between, I don't know. You never have a, you never see them just sitting down having a chat.
4: Yeah.
0: And I think they were starting to get worried because, um, in the, the next chapter, when we get to Molly, she says that if, uh, Harry had not written back that she and Arthur were going to go get Harry because they were getting worried too.
1: Like good parents. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe Ron just doesn't,
0: Ron's pretty oblivious a lot of the time, so... <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. He
3: probably just wasn't thinking about it. He's just more offended that Harry didn't write to him rather than worrying about his friend. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we move on a little bit and obviously Harry is worried that he won't be able to go back to Hogwarts and the Weasleys kind of laugh at him as slightly and say, don't worry, we're going to get you out. And they start ripping the metal bars out of the brick wall of the house. (laughs) How does no one wake up? I don't understand this. If they can wake up for owls hooting, why does the sound of metal being ripped out of brick (laughs) not wake them up? Surely it had to be loud.
1: I feel like it would shake the house too a little bit. Like something being ripped out of a brick wall. I I would wake up. Person. Maybe Vern
0: is so used to being around drills, like maybe he has to go to test sites where he's always like being rattled around with drills that it's it's normal for him.
2: Maybe even somebody in the house just snores so loud that they're yeah. just used to it. <laughs> maybe, and I
0: I feel That's like Dudley's true. a really heavy sleeper, so I'm not surprised that he didn't, you know, wake his butt up, but
3: hmm. What about Petunia? Petunia's always struck me as a very kind of alert person. She's always looking for gossip, so I think she would she would be a very light sleeper. <laughs>
0: She wouldn't do anything though until until Vernon does anything though. She's probably She
2: would wake him up. Yeah. So she might wake him up though.
1: Yeah, yeah she's not the the actionable half of that marriage. <sighs> no.
3: <laughs> but no one does wake up at this moment and um they they ask Harry to climb into the car, and Harry points out that all of his Hogwarts stuff is actually in the cupboard, under the stairs, in his old room. So Harry may not be in the cupboard under the stairs anymore, but his entire whizzing life is locked away there. I think that's kind of poetic, almost. Sad. Sad. It's very sad. Yeah.
2: Well, he sort of has to hide it, because he can't use magic outside of Hogwarts, obviously, but um, he sort of has to hide the fact that he's a wizard from everybody else if he wants to just get through his daily life.
3: But could he not just keep his books in his room? I mean obviously Vernon's the one that's locked them away but surely locking them away with Harry would make more sense than kind of scattering them around the house
1: no I don't know I think that he probably thinks the, the less access Harry has to it the better <laughs> the unhappier he'll be you know yeah. yeah but poor Harry has to suppress like the most natural thing
3: for him but people who never have to suppress the most natural thing to him are Fred and George um, who are always up to mischief and here they actually tell us that they know muggle tricks as well as wizarding ones. So they pull out the traditional hairpin um, and unlock Harry's door to go and get the trunk. How much do you reckon this is going to be Arthur's influence? You know, the the kind of magical versus muggle influence that Arthur seems to bring?
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's where it comes from. I mean, I think that's where all of Arthur is sort of... Curiosity about the muggle ward and even meddling and things if anyone gets passed down to hair uh, excuse me to uh, Fred and George
1: yeah I mean have have any of you ever tried to pick a lock with a hairpin it's incredibly yes. hard I you have, have mm-hmm. yeah did you do it
2: yeah it took a while but it worked Yeah. right <laughs> yeah it's it's difficult
1: <laughs> see I think that this speaks to Fred and George um, they're very persistent and I, I feel like this is just it fits right in with their personality not just the lock picking part but the fact that they practiced and that they know how to do it
2: they probably also since they are such tricksters like they probably said well we've got a whole bunch of wizard ones i wonder if there are any muggle ones that might be entertaining um so they might have looked and even with arthur's influence that might have said oh okay well here let's go check this out or check that out
3: I guess they're also underage, so they're technically not allowed to use magic outside of Hogwarts still. So all of their mischief would have to be kind of muggle-based, it would have to be without magic if they wanted to do it outside of Hogwarts.
1: I mean, that's true. I completely agree with that.
3: Yeah. So, um, the the twins go downstairs um, and they they bring back Harry's trunk, which is, you know, already packed, being the the perfect... Uh, student that Harry is, he's already ready to go despite not having access to his trunk Um, and they they bring it back and they push it into the car um, showing the good teamwork that Ron, Harry and the the twins have. But unfortunately, Harry has forgotten Hedwig and she hoots loudly to remind him that she's there. No wonder Hedwig is always upset with Harry if he keeps forgetting her and locking her up
2: all the time. (laughs) How do you forget your owl? Exactly.
3: I don't know that, yeah, that's... I'm sure she wasn't standing, like, completely still. She would have been moving around and you would have been able to remember that she was there. <laughs> but unfortunately, despite not waking up for the brick walls and the metal r- holes being ripped apart, <laughs> Vernon does wake up at the hoot of an owl. Um, and he he shouts and he runs. And eventually he sees Harry climbing into the flying car And he shouts, he's getting away. He's getting away, Petunia. Surely the Dursleys would be happier seeing Harry leaving them than trying to keep him locked up in that room with the owl that's been annoying him for the entire summer.
0: But it's like it's Verdon losing control on something and he can't have that.
1: Yeah. It's making Harry happy to leave the house
3: and Harry is not allowed to be
0: happy. He just
2: doesn't want Harry to be happy. Ever at all.
3: That's true. And Harry is very happy, as you can see, by the return of his amazing personality that seems to have sprung out of nowhere since last year. So he makes the joke of, see you next summer, calling out at them. Yeah. And he all <laughs> and laughter. He's really become a joker, and I think that's, that's definitely got kind of Ron and the Weasleys' influence mm-hmm. involved. Yeah. Um, but Ron says, step on it, and um, Fred flies the car out and away from Privet Drive. How does Fred know how to drive a Muggle car? <laughs> Surely he hasn't been able to have like driving lessons or anything with with Mister Wh- Mr. Weasley. Do you reckon it's easier to drive a flying car than one on the road? There's going to be less to crash into.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, you don't have to worry about yeah. staying in a lane. So
2: this is true. <laughs> well, maybe um, maybe Arthur had taught him. Just as being such so involved in the Muggle world, maybe he learned and he taught. He taught Fred just just because
1: my God, I cannot see Arthur driving a car <laughs> that no, it that sounds almost terribly. more dangerous than the tw- yeah. It sounds more dangerous than the twins driving the car. I don't know. Cause Arthur's just so excitable. I feel you like get distracted oh by all the
3: buttons. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I think it's probably just easier to drive a flying car, not necessarily, um, in general, but as far as like Caleb said, staying in
2: the lane and all that. So have any of you ever flown a plane? I have no. not. Have you? Yes, I have. What? And yeah, and then when you're up in the air, like when you're actually up in the air, I mean, there's not really a whole lot to do, actually. I mean, I've only <laughs> flown, I've flown smaller planes, but you basically, you set your throttle and you steer and you can go up, down, side to side, and it doesn't really matter that much. So it's so the piece there's nothing I mean there's nothing there, so I guess it probably would be a little easier to to be flying than have to actually drive on a road. It's certainly well, yeah. less to have to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, and now I think about it, I actually have flown a plane. My cousin flies and I've gone up with him in like a, a three, four passenger Cessna and yeah. I got to, and I co piloted with him and I got to take over for like 2 minutes before I started hyperventilating. So <laughs> so yeah, it was actually really cool. But yeah, so uh, yeah.
3: And a magical flying car probably has kind of more regulations and things on it as in it it would be able to power itself slightly more easily than a a plane using magic. So totally. maybe it's actually really simple to drive a flying car.
1: Well, and the funny thing is so we're going to talk about Pottermore later, but we learn in Pottermore that quite a lot of people had magical cars. So this just, you know
0: Right.
3: Feeds into that, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Harry and the Weasleys um start discussing what has been happening over the summer and why Harry hasn't been writing back. And he tells them all about Dobby's warning. Um and the Weasleys really start to question it. They they wonder whether it is, you know, a kind attempt of Dobby trying to save Harry's life as Harry just assumed was correct harry's quite a very trusting person um but the weasleys are are slightly more devious and they they suspect slightly more and they wonder if it's just trying to stop harry from returning um whether there is a wizard trying to play a trick on him and straight away harry and ron realize that you know there is someone in hogwarts that would want to play a trick on him draco malfoy
0: yeah and it's it's like harry halfway guesses this connection between dobby and draco and he doesn't know it yet that he's actually right.
1: Oh, right, yeah, because Harry doesn't know what family Dobby serves currently, so yeah, that's right. funny.
3: He so. always seems to get these these guesses half right, and he never quite finishes the yeah. thought in the right way. <laughs> I
0: think it's funny because I think first time reading it, I like passed over this, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny, but would have never thought that Dobby actually belonged to the Malfoys, even though as you're reading it, it really does add up and make sense. And then at the end of yeah. the book you're like, Oh, that was right. Hmm.
1: Do we really think this is Draco's kind of joke? I mean, do you think he would do that? Do you think he's able to do that?
0: Uh if he could, I, I think, think he so. would. But I don't I don't think he would be able to.
2: Yeah, I, I just I feel like that he wouldn't be able to do that. Like maybe maybe it's physically possible for him to do that, but maybe Dobby wouldn't like just wouldn't. I don't know. Does that make sense?
3: I think I think Dobby would have to if if Draco asked him to and I think Draco is perfectly capable of asking him to. I just don't think he would care that much. It's not that big of a deal about Harry returning to Hogwarts. Like Draco would have more fun kind of tormenting him within the school than trying to stop him from coming back. That's true.
1: Do you think do you think that the children in the families I'm I'm just thinking about who the house elves um, kind of serve? Do it. Do you think that they serve the head of house more so than the rest of the family? Like, he like Lucius could tell Dobby to leave the house and do certain tasks, but Draco really only has, like, uh, say over him while he's in
3: the manor,
0: or until he's of age. If he's until he's seventeen, right. I think yeah, it's sort of it's somewhat diluted until he reaches that wizarding age.
3: I just I I just think that anyone within the family would have control over Dobby. I just I think that the the head of the family would be able to overrule other people's orders.
2: But what if
0: what if Draco told Dobby to go jump off of the the third floor balcony? Would he have to do it?
3: Probably. I just don't see I see they have to Draco punish themselves so much. I
0: see Draco trying that, but I don't see that happening. I don't know.
3: Yeah, me too. I see it happening, I just don't see Dobby maybe dying from it they seem to be very resilient well he's I think he would be able to what if he said the yeah,
2: oven"? Yeah, if he jumps off then he can just apparate to the ground what yeah. if he
0: said Dobby go cook yourself
2: in the oven
3: oh my god that's
2: <laughs>
0: terrible <laughs> <I love. laughs> well I'm just trying to hit an extreme here <laughs>
2: part of their sort of like unwritten contract or something maybe you can't yeah abuse the house elves like <laughs> a, I don't want to say a pet but yeah maybe like maybe it's something like you can't tell them to abuse themselves.
3: I don't know. I think that that's pretty much encouraged. Yeah, they do abuse themselves when they do anything wrong. And I think Dobby in particular is very mistreated throughout his entire kind of service to the Malfoys, but I don't think that they would be able to abuse them to the point of death.
2: Yeah, I think that's more what I meant.
3: (laughs) Except for the blacks where they get to behead them.
2: (laughs) Why don't
0: the fans try to write us up a a standard for the contract for the owning of Halcells as... Um, put out by the Ministry of Magic.
3: Everyone should join Spew. <laughs> yeah,
0: here's S-P-E-W. your chance. So <laughs> no, but I want the like regulation for. I feel like there's a piece of legislation,
2: something.
3: It would make a brilliant essay. Someone write that for us. Yeah, Ooh, it would. That that's true.
2: It would. I'm really interested to see how people would word everything and how they would uh, actually do that. That'd be really cool. And when when that would have been made, like what year? I guess. Because you never because there's there's no like history of when or is there, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, of like when House elves started serving.
0: Yeah, I don't um, think there's an actual humans. hard date on that. Yeah, I
2: don't
1: so think
4: so. So I wonder
2: when that if that was something if this was actually a piece of legislation or whatever, when that sort of thing would have come into effect. What like a year. I
3: definitely don't think there is legislation because of what we know of the, the blacks and creatures history. We see generations of house elves' heads mounted on the wall, don't we?
2: Maybe it's not necessarily like legislation, like from the Ministry of Magic, but maybe it's some part of the ancient wizarding world that, like in ancient mi- history, that it was just sort of like a magical bond, sort of like the unbreakable vow. Like this is sort of a thing that is always going to be there.
0: Hmm, I like that.
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm. So let us
0: know what you guys think.
1: Yeah, send it in. You know the email by now.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as soon as Harry says the name Draco Malfoy, George turns around and says, not Lucius Malfoy's son. Um, so immediately we get the idea that, you know, our our favorite villain from the first book has a father who is worse than he is. We get this idea of the kind of family history of evil. Um, and we... I guess we start to get the idea that Lucius is going to become important um, later on but the next thing we know they're talking about the fact that Mrs Weasley would really like a house elf and it just got me wondering, you know the Weasleys are a pure blood family Um, why don't they have any gold? I mean we see that Harry's got plenty of gold from his kind of family's side we see that the Malfoys are an old family with gold, there are plenty of these kind of very rich pure blood families so why isn't the weasleys family one of them is it just that they've got too many children over too many generations
2: they have so many children (laughs) they do (laughs) (laughs) there are so many weasleys
3: but we know that arthur was a a seventh son as well so there's it's not just their current family that has been kind of spread out
0: yeah i mean i guess when we get to the pottermore part we will talk more you know about why you know some families sort of are in that position, but I, I would love to know more about the the Weasleys' history. About you know why or, or the state of previous generations, kind of where they may have been.
1: Yeah, I don't think that being a pure blood family automatically means that
3: you're loaded. No, but I think there's the idea of pure bloods within the novels is very much like the idea of um, old money. Um, within, you know, society in England and I think in America as well. You've got the idea yeah. of that kind of money that comes with the family name and the family blood, all that kind of thing. And I think the the Weasleys seem to have, they used to be part of that, but they seem to have lost it somehow. They, I mean, Mrs. Weasley was a it, wasn't she? Um, and right. Mr. Weasley, they're both found on the black family tree at some point.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So they they do have branches into that, but their money seems to have disappeared with, I guess, too many mouths to feed.
0: Yeah, we know the Potters. Um, you know, James's parents must have had quite a bit of money because that's pretty much how he got money to then leave to Harry. Right.
2: And it's all saved in the in the bank. So. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that that's it. Just too many children, too many generations. Yeah. Spread themselves too thin, so there's nothing left over for inheritance.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, how many how many Weasleys are in the the, the ron's generation there like there's how many like the parents have a lot of kids plus arthur's seventh seventh son it would yeah. make sense how many cousins if,
3: and things yeah how many cousins well,
2: do yeah. they have like it would make sense that if they did have money at one point that it was just spread out so thin that they're just sort of now like not <laughs> that anymore yeah
3: um So we get our our first look at the the burrow, um, which going along with this idea is, you know, it's not the grand mansion of the the Malfoys, it's not some brilliant old money house, it is essentially an old pigsty with extra rooms that have been added and piled on top until it just kind of looks like this higgledy-piggledy mess, um, all held together by magic. and I think that's kind of perfect for the Weasleys, don't you think? It's, I mean, not the pigsty aspect of it, but the the idea that it's perfectly tailored to their family. Everyone has a room that's their own, that's just attached on, and they all kind of connect together in some magical way. And it really works with the name of the borough. Everyone is just kind of a, or like a Warren, I guess, of a family.
1: I I feel like part of the description isn't so much describing the burrow as it is describing the Weasley family themselves, Like, yeah. you know, stuck together, piled on top, held up by magic. Yeah. Just, it feels more like a, a description of the family than the structure.
0: I thought it was really clever of Rowling if she did this intentionally to, as Harry's observing the burrow, he says there are four or five chimneys. It's not one or the other. It's nothing exact. I think that just sort of just adds to this disorder and everything of the Weasleys.
1: Yeah. the they very Definitely. unkempt, aren't
2: they? hmm It sounds like how it's described, though. It sounds like a cool place. Like, And I, I from the movies now, like, I want to live there. That would be yeah, so cool. totally. I want <laughs> to hang out. That's such a cool-looking place. <laughs> yeah.
3: It does strike me as extremely kind of old English to me. I mean, since my trip to America, I know I talked to you guys quite a bit about the fact that everything was very square- in Chicago. And everything is very kind of, everything's set on your grid plan. But in England, we've got all these kind of houses with odd angles and kind of tiny doors and everything that doesn't really quite work with a modern society. And I think the borough is perfectly in that kind of tradition.
1: Yeah, it's a little more quirky.
3: Yeah.
2: Which fits the family perfectly.
3: Um, So going along with the idea of names, we learn that the Weasleys now have two owls um, and their names are very appropriate to to their characters and their, their kind of roles within the house. Um, so we've got Errol, which you know essentially sounds like error. He's always getting things wrong. Um, <laughs> he never quite does what you want him to do. And then we've got Percy's new owl. It's
2: Tabby's fault.
3: Um, and Percy's owl is called Hermes, and he's the Greek messenger god. Which you know is slightly pretentious. It's it's very very Percy <laughs> to name his owl after a messenger god, don't you think?
1: I do. Yeah.
3: Very much. <laughs> so I think this is further example of of Jo being absolutely perfect in naming her characters to reflect their personalities. And we we find out a bit more about Mr. Weasley and the fact that he works in the misuse of Muggle Artifacts office within the Ministry. I just... Why does he work there if he's going to misuse these magic these um artifacts himself is he just trying to keep himself out of trouble or is he maybe looking for new items or just trying to keep the bad wizards away from the mo- the muggle items that he loves whilst you know ignoring harmless ones like himself
0: i just think it make it makes sense that he works there given his um, how much he sort of likes that area in and, and his own curiosity. I mean, I don't think he's, he's in that job for his own benefit. I mean, I think that would go against Arthur Weasley's personality, but, I mean, he has a, a natural knack for dealing with those sort of items, and it's obviously something he sort of explores harmlessly in his
2: own time.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that completely,
2: yeah. And he's always so interested in them. It just kind of works, It makes sense that he would work there.
1: Yeah. I feel like he knows quite a bit more about muggles than he lets on.
0: Or that most wizards would, so which is why he fits into that role pretty well. Right.
1: And he enjoys writing the loopholes if they, (laughs) you know, if they so please him. Yeah.
3: See, I think that's kind of the most important thing about his job. He's always kind of trying to keep himself out of trouble as well. Otherwise, he'd be something like a, a muggle liaison officer or the muggle studies teacher at Hogwarts or something. Yeah. He is deliberately in that muggle artifacts office for a reason. But I don't
0: think that's his primary reason for being there. I don't think he seeks the job just to, for his own um, personal reasons of wanting loopholes. I think that's something of a byproduct, but I don't think that's his main motivation.
3: An added bonus, yeah. 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 Maybe he just likes the items more than the people. <laughs>
1: Probably. He doesn't strike me as um, a people person. I mean, he's very kind and whatever, but I see him as more, he'd rather sit in his workshop and tinker with his plugs than go to a party (laughs) and socialize, you know?
3: Yeah. So the, the Weasleys arrive, the Weasleys and Harry arrive outside the burrow and the first thing they do, you know, they park the car, they get out and they start walking towards the house and there, of course, is Mrs. Weasley. And to go with our animal descriptions from earlier, she's now described as a saber-toothed tiger. She is about to attack because um, because they've obviously taken the car without permission. And we really see for the first time that kind of mother's anger and that mother's kind of guilt aspect. Um, she really knows exactly what to say to express how angry she is to her kids.
0: Yeah, definitely intimidating. Uh, reading this as a... What would I have been? I don't know. 12, 13 year thirteen-year-old. I was kind of. It definitely reminded me of moments where my mom got pretty stern with me. So,
2: I think that description was meant so that people, like I know, I was young when I first read this, so people of that age could sort of understand. Like, I maybe because I think I think describing it as like a saber toothed tiger or something to that effect is easier to wrap your head around as a young kid rather than a long drawn out description of how angry was she was yeah yeah
3: it really gives that kind of image of her snarling these words out she's really kind of biting um but also at the same time you've got the kind of idea of the the tiger being kind of a family based cat you've got that she's the the pr- i think tigers are quite proud aren't they i'm trying to remember my kind of animal imagery from um, <laughs> metaphors and things but they're very solitary but very proud and obviously they're ginger as well so that works well with the Weasleys um, and I think just that kind of snarling image they're very strong um, and Mrs. Weasley is a perfect description of a saber-toothed tiger.
1: I'm going to take Noah's role on this one and say do you think it's a commentary on Mrs. Weasley's age because saber-toothed tib- tigers are you know old and extinct
3: that's true.
0: But she's not um, that old
3: no. <laughs> well,
1: no. I, I was just taking, you know, the Noah's uh, angle from it.
3: <laughs> Had to throw it out there. <laughs> I think it's more that she's more vicious. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: Than, plus, you know, kids like dinosaurs and things that are extinct, so. That's true. <laughs> that works as well. That's true. <laughs> but this whole rant really is very reminiscent of the, the later rant that we see within The Howler. Um so I think it's important that we get this now so that we can kinda of project that description of her onto that kind of animate but inanimate inanimate letter that we get later on.
2: You can kinda of use the description now that you're given, um, so that when yeah, when we see the howler later, it's like, oh, okay, that's just how she yells at people. That's like sort of yeah. what we're used to.
3: Yeah. But one of the that's things she says, um, is you just wait until I tell your father about this. It's kind of that, that really common threat um, that for for most families, I guess, would work. You know, the father is the head of the household and he's the scary figure. But, you know, within the Weasleys, it just doesn't work. Does she really expect Arthur to do anything? I think she hopes that he'll do something,
2: but... Yeah, maybe maybe she thinks that he might, but in all honesty, like... I would I could very much see him saying, "Oh, how did the car how did it work? Uh what was it like in their town?" something to that effect. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. He'd be he'd be more worried about well, exactly, be more worried about the car than his children. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Mrs. Weasley obviously is worried about the children. So.
3: Yeah. But eventually she sort of uh, rants herself out and kind of brings them back into the house. Um, And the Weasley's house is Harry's very first experience of a wizarding dwelling that he can remember. Obviously, he had Godric's Hollow when he was little, but, you know, he doesn't remember any of that now. So how normal is the Weasley's house as Harry's first experience? I I doubt it would be, you know, what every wizard lives in.
2: I don't think it's a normal house. I think that, like, I think that wizards probably have, some probably have regular houses, but I think that the fact that, like what we said earlier the weasleys um having their house so chaotic and harry this being his first experience with it i think it just it makes a lot of sense to to uh have this be his first real interaction with it
1: i was trying to think of what other houses we see and really the only other one we ever really enter is um the lovegoods right yeah
0: and we know it's pretty weird mm-hmm. so
2: <laughs> well we see we see um eventually uh towards like towards the end of the series um back uh the name i'm forgetting right now (laughs) we we see another house that is relatively normal don't we
0: um you mean like Um, shell cottage or um
1: oh right shell cottage
0: but i guess yeah that's a little that's not really a normal house it's more of a cottage in
2: in Godric's We've, Hollow, don't we see?
0: Oh, in Godric's Hollow? I oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Bethilde Backshot's house.
2: Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, at least, I know I know we're not there right now, but, like, the descriptions there are sort of normal.
0: Yeah, it seems like a fairly normal house, yeah.
3: But within the, within the Weasley's house itself, there are lots of, kind of, magical things happening. There, There's, um, I guess most of this is, kind of, movely influenced but there's, you know, knitting that's knitting itself, and there's, um the The washing up that's being, you know, doing itself through magic. How much experience of magic do you reckon wizarding kids get compared to muggle kids? Um, because even if they can't perform the magic themselves, they are still kind of immersed in a lot of magic around them.
1: Quite a lot, actually. Um, I feel like they would learn more of the householdy stuff, like cleaning and healing, because and, they don't teach that at
3: Hogwarts, which... No, not that we see. Right.
2: They probably, maybe they expect, like, at Hogwarts, they expect the families to teach that kind of stuff. Like... um We hear
3: Tonks, isn't it, that later says that her mother um used to teach her the packing spell and things like that.
2: Yeah, like, sort of like you expect a parent to teach um a child, like, basic household stuff. Maybe that's just a part of growing up in the wizarding world that you just sort of learn this stuff, even though you can't really use it yet you just kind of sort of know it for later when you can right
1: but not math no math, <laughs> <Not> math. <Right. laughs> no math right no math
3: in which case why does Har- why does no one around harry ever think to kind of show him this kind of stuff or do you reckon that it does and we just don't see it in terms of the story do you reckon mrs weasley takes him aside one day and shows him how to do the washing up
2: i don't know uh, i feel like yeah, I feel like at, at some point we probably don't, I mean, we don't see it, but I feel like her character is someone that, and Harry's curiosity, like, in a part that we don't see, I could totally see her be starting the spell, and then Harry be like, oh, how do you do that? And she's like, oh, here, yeah. let me explain it to you. But it's not really, like, a, a major story point, so it probably just wasn't no. shown.
3: But it is incredibly sweet. <laughs> So one of the things that we do see within the Wheezy's house is the the wizarding radio, the wizarding wireless. And it just, it makes me wonder why that one particular muggle artifact seems to be so prevalent um, in wizarding communities. They have this whole wireless network. But, you know, why do wizards have radio and not TV? Is it just that they're, they're used to moving images anyway?
1: Well, we're actually going to talk about that a lot later in the Pottermore section. Because we learn a lot about technology, so, yeah. Sure. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not to spoil it all, I want to talk about it later, though.
3: Okay, so listeners, keep listening. That's right. (laughs) Okay, so they all sit down and they, they eat breakfast, which Mrs. Weasley has just cooked for them, and then suddenly we get this kind of a blur of a girl, run in, squeak, and then run out again. Um, And that is our first sighting of Ginny within this book. We saw her briefly um, at platform nine and three quarters. Um, But this is the first time we've really had an interaction with her. And it's always embarrassing to accidentally meet your crush whilst wearing your pyjamas, isn't it? So I don't blame her at all for squeaking and running away. Especially at that age. Yeah. But it's interesting that later on, um, Ron, or possibly one of the twins, says that it's really rare to see Ginny be shy. Yeah. And Harry is really the only person that Ginny is ever shy around. Um, What do you think that says about her character and her ideas of romance?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's still really young. I guess at this point she's you know, 11 or so. So I think it's just a product of her being really young and shy and just that cute boy thing for, I guess, what girl's experience. I guess I wouldn't really know that, but...
2: (laughs) Uh, Ladies, do you have any commentary on this? You're probably <laughs> better on the subject. Yeah.
1: Than us. No, I think Caleb hit it on the head. Yeah, that's that's about yeah. it. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Success. I <laughs> tapped right. into the, the girl's mind.
3: <laughs> I guess for Ginny, you know, meeting Harry is kind of like meeting the prince of your fairy tales. Um,
2: While in she's pajamas. She's grown up with
3: stories about him. <laughs> While in While p- in pajamas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> It's like you know the end of Cinderella, but rather than Cinderella meeting the prince in her ball gown, she's meeting her in the, in the, <laughs> the uh, meeting him in the um, the rags that her parents have forced her stepmother's forced her to wear. Right. Poor Ginny. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it works out, so I wouldn't feel too bad about it. This
0: <laughs> <laughs> is true. <laughs> but in that moment, she her world is just awful.
3: It's true. Yeah. But within the story, it's very, a very brief comment, and we move swiftly on into denoming the garden. Um, and I just wonder, you know, is there no magical way of doing this? Could Mrs. Weezy not have just waved her wand and done it herself? They, she sends out Fred and George, which just seems to be asking for trouble for me.
0: <laughs> Maybe there's just, you know, animal cruelty or creature cruelty, you know, doing it
2: with magic. Yeah.
3: What would Hermione say? <laughs> I mean,
2: Hermione would not have it. There's definitely gotta be a way that they can do this magically, but I think that and not even on a um not even on like an animal cruelty type thing or creature cruelty level. Maybe it's just maybe they're just enjoying it. So they're just doing it for fun.
0: Even. And it's a chore that Mrs. Weasley can give
2: her kids to keep them busy. Yeah, right. to keep them out of trouble. Except yep. not really. <laughs>
3: That's my other question. Is this the normal way of denoming your garden, or is it just Fred and George having fun just flinging gnomes around?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, this is the only example Joe gives us, so it must be the only way.
0: (laughs) I'd like to think there's probably more efficient means to keep them out. But maybe not many people have to deal with gnomes. I mean, we don't really
2: know.
3: Right. It's
2: true. I don't know. I've never had to pull a gnome out of a garden. Yeah. So
3: then we have the Another interesting example of a magical creature within Joe's world that isn't necessarily the same as magical and mythological creatures in other books. We have the same kind of character, but portrayed in a different way. So obviously, Harry then points out that muggles have garden gnomes as well, um, but they resemble more, you know, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves idea of little man in little hat with fishing rod. As opposed to this kind of little potato creature that really makes sense with the kind of mythological gnome um, aspect where, you know, gnome means earth dweller. And it makes sense that they would look like a potato that they've grown underground.
0: Yeah, and they can talk. I I wish we had more backstory on the gnomes in the wizarding world because I feel like that's a missing (laughs) story.
2: That would be really interesting to see, like, the perspective, the, the events from the perspective of gnomes and house elves and yeah. all the other creatures you don't really hear from. Right. Definitely.
1: Maybe they just have a limited vocabulary, like, leave me alone, don't You're touch me. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: and that's all they can say. Right, exactly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> have any of you um, ever read the Artemis Fowl series? Yeah. By Owen Colfer. Yeah?
0: Yeah. I have not.
3: They always struck me, because they they came out around the same time as um, as Chamber of Secrets did originally and they have the same kind of gnome creature um, within their stories and I think that is a very traditional um, of kind of mythological view of gnomes um, and there is a brilliant character in, in Artemis Fowl you guys should read it if you can um, and I think if you want to know more about gnomes within Harry Potter read Artemis Fowl for that kind of idea
2: yeah, it gives a really good description of, like, the, they describe them very similarly, so it's, it's really interesting to see how the gnomes are in that, and then if you can take that back to this and be like, oh, okay, that sort of makes a little bit of sense.
3: Yeah. And then Mr. Weasley turns up, he's home from work, and he explains what he's been doing all day. And we got our very first mention of Mundungus Fletcher, um, who is a troublemaker right from the start. We we hear Arthur tell, Arthur say that he tried to hex him um, when he was trying to kind of confront him about a muggle artifact. So why is Mundangus in the Order later on? If we know that he is this bad character and he's been introduced right from, you know, the very beginning, why is he then trusted later on to be part of Harry's guard?
0: Probably just so Dumbledore can keep him close and, you know, maybe he's resourceful in certain ways, but keep, lets yep. the Order keep a closer eye on him.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure one of the twins it says that um or maybe it's Lupin says that uh it's good to have thieves and right. stuff in
2: in the order. Yeah. So get a different perspective <laughs> that they wouldn't normally have. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But I just like the I so, just like the mention because it's yet another like name
3: drop. She does so many of these and I love it. Yeah. I love it. I, I'm loving reading back through the books because you you notice them so much more because you know the first time you would have read this name and just completely forgotten about it right and like when you f- when you see Mundungus later you you forget that he's already been mentioned you think he's being introduced as a new character
1: right
3: and you know we actually knew about him from right at the very start so I yeah I love those details just like Mafalda
1: Hopkirk right because isn't that the yeah. witch that Hermione uh, turns into yeah
3: yeah that's so definitely yeah so mr weasley's done this whole kind of rant about his his work day and then that you know the weasley's announced that harry's here and mr weasley turns around and says harry who as if anyone in the world didn't know who harry was going to be <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's just another reason to love mr weasley because you know harry just wants to be a normal kid and mr weasley really treats him like that he's just yeah who, harry who not Harry Potter, just Harry.
1: I think that also speaks to his just general air of obliviousness <laughs> quite honestly <laughs> yeah.
2: that's what I was gonna say
1: <laughs> yeah he just I mean there's so many people already in his kitchen like he's not gonna notice another another person so.
3: <laughs> the only non- ginger person in the room <laughs> yeah exactly so Ron takes Harry up to his room um so that you know they can get settled in and Harry can start to feel at home and we see. Uh, on Ron's door, there's a little plaque that says Ronald's Room. And how sweet is that? It just makes it that little homely, homely touch. It's true. It's very cute. <laughs> yeah. And then we open the door and Ron's entire room is decorated in the orange colours of... Is it the Chudley calendar? Chudley mm-hmm. calendar. Yep. Um, and it's just a perfect example of how Quidditch teams within the the Potter world are exactly like football teams or soccer teams in the UK. Um so many young boys across the country will have their rooms decorated with their team colours. And it just shows that Ron is that perfect little typical 12 year old with his Quidditch team wallpaper, his comics, his tank of frog on the side. He's just the, the perfect character to appeal to any 12 year old boy. Yep. And I agree with Harry when, you know, Ron's looking around his room and saying, you know, it's not much. And Harry turns around and says, it's the best house ever. I definitely want to live at the borough
1: a cool house yeah definitely a cool (laughs) house i really want them just going back to ron's comics i so want them to release um like um versions not versions um episodes what what are comic book books called issues issues issues, that's the word (laughs) i so want them to release episodes or issues of uh the adventures of martin megs the mad muggle i'm just saying it sounds brilliant that would be cool
0: (laughs) J.K. Yeah. Rowling, if you're listening, put it on Pottermore too. That would be cool.
1: Yeah. Or fans. Yeah, be yeah because it's
0: probably not going to happen on Pottermore. So right. fans, no. go for it.
1: That's right. Someone draw it for us. We yeah,
3: submit them to Alejandra. We ask a lot of our fans. We do. I also ask
0: a lot of J.K.
2: Rowling, assuming she's listening. <laughs> <laughs> one, we can day. one day, maybe. Yeah. Would be day. interesting to know if she if she does listen. That would be cool.
0: Maybe if I get to go to um, the New York City. Um, thing I'll ask her when she's to the casual vacancy yeah the casual vacancy press event Um, anyway yeah
1: you and and the 12 other million people who want to go to that
0: (laughs) (laughs) it'll happen I'm going to be there but I won't waste a lot of time on that right yeah yeah (laughs) so we wrap up chapter 3 and move into chapter 4 which is titled Flourish and Blots which we sort of know about from before um, the first book but we actually get to go into the store this time And it opens up with Harry obviously still at the burrow, and he immediately gives a a sharp contrast between the Dursleys and the Weasleys' houses. He describes the Dursleys as neat and ordered, with the Weasleys being strange and unexpected, which just makes it that much more exciting compared to what Harry's used to. And Harry notices that there's a talking mirror that says, Tuck your shirt in, Scruffy. And I'm just, I wish I really had a mirror that talked to me, because... Think about it. You know, you get critique before you even go out. So right. that was a little... good
1: voice, by the way. Thank you. And... <laughs> do you think that
2: mirror is actually alive, or just has and like it has a conscious or do you think it just Wait, talks about clothing?
1: Is Noah here?
0: <laughs> I know that's exactly what I was
2: saying. <laughs> Noah's gonna be so are, are happy that
1: you him? that up. Wow.
0: <laughs> good job, um, Matthew. <laughs>
1: yeah no i do not think it's a sentient being <laughs>
0: No, but, but what if the mirror was a little too judgy then i feel like i might break it if it said something mean to me
1: yeah i could see that yeah. but that's your gryffindor temper
0: that's true <laughs> but just to say
3: i do feel that, that mirror would probably be more of a, a fred and george trick rather than a mrs weasley trying to be nice to her son that's
0: true <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, and the big difference that it kind of wraps up, contrasting the two places, is Harry, sa- um, or as the narrator, it says, it was the fact that every, everybody there seemed to like him. So that's, you know, the first time he's really in a home where people enjoy his presence. And I think that Yeah, he really finally important. feels the love. Right. He finally gets to know what a home is like.
1: Right. A proper home. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And as Harry continues to amble through the borough, we get more of Jenny being really awkward and shy, um, which sort of just sort of keeps playing into this crush that she has, and Harry doesn't really know how to deal with it because he's just as awkward. But, Do you
1: think he realizes it's a crush?
0: Uh, Maybe. I, I guess I always assumed, but... Probably not at first, but eventually... Or maybe not a crush, but just sort of like a, a fascination. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I feel like... Boys, especially at that age, are kind of oblivious to that stuff.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. That's fair. Yes, we are.
0: <laughs> um, and so we finally get um, letters from Hogwarts. Harry figures out that his letter, because the owls, again, know everything, that um, his Hogwarts letters come to the borough, and they get their book lists. And Standard Book of Spells, Grade 2, by Miranda Goshak is on there, as we might expect. But then there's this huge list of all these books from this dude named Gilderoy Lockhart. And later we figure out, obviously, that Lockhart Lockhart is a teacher. And I'm just thinking, do individual teachers get to choose their books? You would, you know, assume they get some sort of um, say in that. But is there no approval by the headmaster or headmistress? Because why would Dumbledore allow Lockhart to profit so much by requiring students to buy all of his books?
3: His books are meant to be, like instruction manuals. so as long I mean Dumbledore hired him trusting him that these were his own ideas so it's just evidence of his own kind of prowess
0: do you think Dumbledore saw through that and hasn't seen through the books yet
1: well that's that's what I was thinking I think that Dumbledore realizes that Lockhart's full of BS basically and but he's so desperate for a teacher that what other choice does he have
0: and that's kind of part of the yeah. deal that Lockhart gets to you know, put all of his books on the list, and that's sort of the condition that he teaches. Yeah, maybe. I'm a little disappointed in Dumbledore in that. (laughs) Yeah. Poor Weasley's having to buy, like, 89,000 books for one year.
3: I mean, how many books is it? There's, like,
0: seven seven. or eight or something. Yeah.
3: Wow. Wow. But you know, Lockhart is the the famous author of the time. I guess there's going to be a charity shop somewhere of wizarding books, so you'll be able to find some cheap copy that someone's given back.
0: Right. Well, after this letter, it's not the only letter coming Harry's way. We find out that um, Hermione has sent a letter, and um, she comments on how Errol is. Well, Errol first flops down and barely makes it to get the letter there, and Hermione even comments in her letter that. Er, Errol is you know Kind of on his last wing I'm just thinking Poor Errol He's he's just not making it These days You know After Dobby got done with him He just He just can't you're Right
4: yeah
0: <laughs> Dobby <laughs> But notice Notice guys That at the end of Hermione's letter Because she addresses it Primarily to Ron It says dear Ron And Harry if you're there It ends with Love from Hermione They're already oh. in love Aww
4: <laughs> <laughs> Probably so not sweet
0: But oh. Hermione is I mean, I guess, do girls start just using love, you know, at that age? Because that's sort of just a common closing to a letter.
1: I didn't, but Hermione Hermione's very caring and very proper. So maybe for her, that that right. is just normal.
3: And she's never really had all that many friends. So maybe it's just a nice... She enjoys being able to write to someone. So it's, you know, love from Hermione.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Aww. And maybe she does love them, but on a platonic
3: level
0: yeah at least right now
3: friendly (laughs) yeah yeah
0: so after harry and um the weasleys go and play a little bit of quidditch and everyone uses his broom because you know theirs are not as good we um we get to where they're about to head off to diagon alley and harry starts thinking about how they don't have as much the weasleys don't have as much money as he does because one of them makes a comment about how it's going to be a struggle to buy all the textbooks and everything and then he makes a comment about um, the Dursleys. I uh, can't remember what the exact line is, but he says something where he, he doesn't want the Dursleys to know how he has all this magic because their um, disdain for gold would not reach to, or disdain for magic, I should say, reaches to his amount of gold. So it's kind of like the one exception that the Dursleys would hate about magic. Of course, something with money. So I thought that was but pretty you, but
1: interesting. But you can, I mean, you can convert, you can change the money. So I think it's good that Harry never told him.
2: Yeah, yeah, Because they probably
1: would have made him convert it.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Taken all of it.
1: But how would they have gotten it? Because they wouldn't have let Harry go into the Wizarding World to get it, and they sure as heck would have never gone, so.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Hm. Oh, well. They may, they may have, again, um, allowed an exception because, again, of the money they're
2: getting out of it. Yeah, maybe they probably would have... If they knew, Like, they seem like the kind of people that might force him to go get it.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, they wouldn't have gone to get it themselves. The goblins would never have let them either. That's true. Oh,
1: do you think muggles aren't allowed in there?
3: No, I think they probably are allowed, because I think Hermione would have gone with her parents. But I don't think... I think the goblins would know the difference between... Someone accessing someone's vault for good reasons and someone taking someone else's money.
0: Yeah. They're clever. Okay, enough.
3: you mean if the if they were by themselves, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or even if they were with Harry, I think there would be a they would be able to tell a certain amount of coercion. Hm. Hmm.
0: Well, the Dursleys—excuse me, not the Dursleys—because they don't use flu powder. But um, <laughs> the the Weasleys and Harry are getting ready to um, flu themselves to Diagon Alley, and this is Harry's first introduction to flu powder. And so I started to think—I don't—I don't think we've talked about this before. I don't think we would have. But what is the correct amount of flu powder? Because you know, it just says they grab, um, I guess, a handful. But do you need more depending on you know if you're going farther? What happens if you do too little? Do you burn alive because you didn't take enough flu powder? Oh, my God. <laughs> that's,
2: that's a good question.
0: Yeah. If you're just grabbing, I, I can't imagine that it's an arbitrary amount because then the Weasleys would probably try to ration it because, you know, of money.
1: Well, it says in the book that Fred took a pinch of glittering powder. Okay. So it doesn't seem like you need all that, that much. much. Maybe you just needed to... Maybe... Baby. It it that's not what transport you that that transports you it's just what makes the fire into a transportation device
2: Maybe okay. it's like the wand where it channels the it like maybe the flu powder channels the magic um into allowing you to to travel so like it doesn't matter how much you use kind of thing
1: Yeah hmm. you could pour the the whole bucket on there or whatever and it would be
2: yeah. Maybe,
4: Same
1: effect. Maybe it's yeah. only one, you, maybe only one transportation. Like, you only get to go to one place no matter how much you put in.
0: Okay. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the way most, um, like, public transportation systems work, right? Like, in Chicago, I noticed when we went, you pay so much to get on um, no matter where you get off. And I right. But it's different in D.C., and I think it's similar in... Uh, The underground over in in London, if correct me if I'm wrong, Rosie, but in DC you pay based on distance. Destination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: You do. Yeah, distance.
0: But like in Chicago and New York, it's like a flat rate.
1: In Boston it's flat rate too, yeah.
0: So that's really I think actually the D C Metro was modeled after that, um, the way it's set up over in London. So Mm. that's interesting to think about. But anyway, um, (laughs) <laughs> they're kind of the Weasleys are kind of all over the place trying to explain flu powder to Harry. I'm thinking if I was in this place, I would be screaming for them to shut up and just tell me, you know, probably wouldn't say shut <laughs> up because that's that's kind of mean, but yeah, they're <laughs> like throwing advice at him from every direction. It's no wonder he screws up, but uh, he he, yeah. he throws the flu powder in, and um, mm. obviously, really tough because you have like ash and everything's well, I guess not hot, but the ash makes him choke up and cough, and he, he doesn't say it clearly. and... He ends up in Nocturn Alley, specifically in Borgin and Burks, the strangest store you will never go to. I I just I just love the description of the store. It's immediately, you know, Harry is in a bad place. Yeah. I mean, have you ever have you guys ever been alone where you kind of just end up in the wrong place and you know that you have screwed up big time?
1: no i was a goodie two shoes
0: <laughs> well but even by accident i feel like i've done this where i've been like exploring places and you know t- you
2: just get <laughs> lost yeah and you end up in an accidentally alley accidentally gone
3: into a staff area or something like that
2: yeah yeah i know in some cities that i've gone to like there's some areas that if you, you're just driving and then all of a sudden you make a wrong turn and you're like oh i probably shouldn't be here yep definitely I, I feel like it to was me. one of those moments
1: that's true i remember feeling like that when i was in memphis that's true Mm. yeah scary (laughs) well sorry to anyone who lives in memphis
0: (laughs) (laughs) and half our (laughs) memphis viewers stop listening (laughs) uh so lucius and draco come in the stores harry's trying to escape but obviously he can't run out and then be seen by them and um Draco's complaining about Harry and doesn't know that Harry's there obviously and Lucius acts actually you know tells Harry to chill out or excuse me tells Draco to chill out on the Harry hating because of the perception it might create since you know he brought down the dark Lord. So I thought this was an interesting sort of uh, contrast in this moment between how mature thinking Lucius is whereas Draco's still stuck in that schoolboy sort of mindset.
3: Yeah, why is Draco talking about Harry at this point? I mean, he hasn't seen him all summer. Why is he still so obsessed with this boy?
1: Because I think Draco just... He's really jealous of Harry. Yeah. In so so many ways.
2: Maybe going back to school made him think about how either, oh, I have to deal with him again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do you think Draco does in the summer when he's not doing anything school-related? Tortures (laughs)
1: Tortures Dobby. Oh. <laughs>
0: That's terrible.
3: <laughs> I don't know.
2: That's a good question, though. What um?
3: Yeah, his what homework. Are his homework.
2: Does he Maybe. have some? Work? I guess he
3: has. He has some friends within Slytherin and things as well, so he'd probably meet up with them.
0: Yeah, possibly. And do evil things together, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Burning ants and stuff. No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Lucius starts talking to, um, is it it Miss, I can't remember now if it's Mr. Borgen or Mr. Burke. Um, Borgen. Okay. So Lucius starts talking to Mr. Borgen and he's not wanting to buy anything, but he's actually wanting to sell. And he's talking about how the ministry has started doing raids and Mr. Borgen asks if he has been targeted yet. And I I love this quote because it says... uh, Lucius says, I have not been visited yet. The name Malfoy still commands a certain respect. And I'm just thinking, yeah, he's badass. He knows. That's so badass. <laughs> it yeah. is. And, and we'll obviously talk about this in the Pottermore stuff. But, God, even though they're the, I guess, quote, evil family, they're so they're so baller. They know they can <laughs> sort of just push people around if they want to.
1: Yeah, no, totally.
0: Um. And Draco, of course, is knowing about the, the store as Lucius does business. And he starts noticing some things. And it was interesting rereading it this time because the first time you don't think much of it. But he, he spots the Hand of Glory. Mr. Morgan tries to sell it to him. Um, he also spots the Opal Necklace. And these are both things that Draco eventually uses in the series. So I think mm-hmm. it's some really clever foreshadowing and interesting to read back this time.
1: Yeah, it's just yet another one of those things where... Um I don't know if any of you have heard of this before, where the, the the books on the opposite end of the spectrum parallel each other. So, like, book one and seven and two and six and three and five. That's so, these items that he sees now are items that he uses in book six. So.
0: Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I I was just thinking yeah. about that as you were saying that. That's yeah. really kind of mind-blowing, actually.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and Lucius and Mr. Borgen are talking more about the selling and... um. I think Draco brings something up about Hermione, isn't it? And um, they're talking about the the blood heritage. And Mr. Borgin actually says something. His quote is, "It's the same all over. Wizard blood is counting for less everywhere." And this was a little surprising to me. You know, he's obviously dealing with a lot of probably pure-blooded families. And what in the world makes him want to say this in front of Lucius Malfoy of all people?
1: I don't know. What do we know about Borgin? Is he they a, run a creepy blood? store?
0: I would Whoa. think so. I mean, doesn't isn't this well, yeah, Tom Riddle interns at this store, right? Right. Mm-hmm. S- so, and obviously he's selling dark objects. I mean, I guess dark magic doesn't necessarily um assume, um auto automatically relate to Evil. pure blooded, pure yeah, pure blooded families, but it seems like that's just an uncharacteristic statement for him, especially with the company he's in.
3: I guess it depends on how he says it, though. I mean, it could be that, you know, it's the same all over. Wizard Blood is counting less everywhere apart from here. Like, Borgin is trying to be complimentary to Malfoy, I guess, in a way. But it's kind of the wrong way about going about it.
0: He does really quickly correct or, I guess, um, you know, explain himself when Lucia says no, not so much for me. I ain't playing with that. Yeah. But um, eventually Harry does get out of this this dark shop and hagrid's the one that comes to his rescue while some old lady's trying to sell him creepy stuff what was it that she was trying to sell him again i don't even remember
1: uh, fingernails yeah fingernails or toenails. What, <laughs>
0: good god lady what are you doing selling ugh anyway but
2: hagrid gets <laughs> him out of go there potion.
0: yeah and hagrid gets him out of there and he's reunited with everyone in diagon alley and i really like this moment because harry immediately tells ron and hermione about the malfoy encounter and it's like immediately the first time the three of them are together again the trio aspect is immediately um locked in and they're like already talking about it
1: yeah they're already whispering about things yeah they're uh, plotters
0: exactly but it's just like great. that first moment you know he's been with ron for a while but the the instant the three of them are together it's like
2: back to it
4: mm-hmm.
3: yeah there's no hi hermione how was your summer it's just let's go have adventures
2: yep <laughs> But aren't those the best kind of friends? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah,
1: definitely. What house are you, Matthew?
2: Gryffindor. Yes.
1: Well, there you go. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, adventurous.
0: (laughs) I'm with that. And as Harry, Ron, and Hermione are, you know, going through Diagon Alley, they stop and get some ice cream. And the flavor of this ice cream, strawberry and peanut butter. That is gross. Does anybody (laughs) like that? I don't know. I would try that. I mean, I would try. I like both of those things quite a bit, but I just yeah, can't exactly. imagine them together.
3: Do they actually have them together? I'd forgotten that.
0: I, th- I mean, it just says... Are they not
3: just each one having an individual one? So one no, it's like, it's one like hyphenated,
0: I think. So it's like strawberry and peanut butter ice cream. Yeah. Three large strawberry and peanut butter ice creams. So Ew. they
2: should be together. <laughs> I kind of want to try that someday. (laughs) I wish I knew how to make ice cream.
1: (laughs) Well, you could probably buy peanut butter ice cream and, like, cut...
2: Put strawberries into Or buy
3: them both and, like, mix it together. Ew. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Sounds awful. I
3: guess the Wizarding World likes weird flavors with, you know, 30 bucks every flavored beans and things.
1: Can I just say I enjoy the grass one? It actually tastes very good. Ew, no. It doesn't taste like grass. (laughs) It doesn't.
2: What does it taste like?
1: Um, Green? (laughs) <laughs> if it can that's taste just, like a flavor. That's really I'm not bad sure. It's, news it's, it's just very sweet. That's, that's just going to
0: motivate some some kid to go out there and start eating some grass because they think it's going to taste the same. And, you know, then parents are calling the company because their children are eating grass.
1: Well, then they aren't paying very good attention to their kids, aren't they?
2: And that's their fault. <laughs> that's right. Anyway. <laughs> so the everyone
0: gets back to Flourish and Blutz, the title of the chapter, and they're going to buy some books. And apparently... Um, this Gilderoy Lockhart bloke is having some event inside the bookstore and this is our our first big wizarding celebrity because at this point we don't really know much about Gilderoy Lockhart but now it's clear he he is something like people are crazy about this guy and you know not in the way that Harry was a celebrity for defeating Voldemort but you know this um superstar in the I guess as far as a a book publisher, an adventurer, or whatever else he's pitched himself as. And he, he uses Harry in the moment to double up the fame, and then this this quote, he finally you know figures out, uh, or he releases that he's going to be a teacher. He and his schoolmates will, in fact, be getting the real magical me, and at this point, I think Gildor Lockhart is vomit-worthy, and I kind of already have an <laughs> idea of what he's going to be like. What
2: about you guys in this moment? Gilderoy Lockhart yep. is that guy. Yeah, just, exactly. You just know he's just <laughs> that guy. It's it's pretty funny.
3: But Kenneth Branagh is completely perfect casting for him in the movie. Oh, uh, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I great. completely agree.
0: <laughs> I wish I could have played this role in the movie. I feel like it would have been so fun to just go all out and be the... the, the go uh, huge. The well, most practice ridiculous. up for Con then. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like... With especially with all the you know the flashing bulbs all around and all the, the the witches that are all dazzled by his beautiful white teeth, I don't know. It it
0: he does. Yeah, have it's some a nice it's teeth. a little
3: vomit worthy, but I think it fits. That's true. Yeah, he's like he's the worst kind of celebrity. Yeah, and it just it it brings up a brilliant contrast to Harry's fame in that moment. Yeah,
0: right. The
1: attention seeking and the I want to shrink into the shadows. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: And while he's announcing this, we obviously figure out that we have a new Hogwarts professor. So that's kind of uh, an exciting moment because we don't know yet about this trend in defense against the dark arts teacher. But it's kind of exciting to know that's something new about Hogwarts.
3: That's right. Yeah, it's not going to be same old, same old.
2: Do we really ever, um, like when they're not at Hogwarts, we don't really hear a lot about Hogwarts. Like the goings on, just like regular stuff that happens there.
0: Right. I mean, we do in, you know, I guess, book seven when it's... Well, yeah, later. To, uh, but in not, book
3: five, but that's it, really, yeah.
2: But yeah, they're pretty far removed
0: until they get sort of in, back in the magical atmosphere.
3: It's interesting that we're getting all of this in, like, and, in chapter four. I mean, we've had, I guess, Dobby's warning in chapter two, but so far there really hasn't been much kind of intrigue or, or plot within within the story. I mean, yeah. um, Th- we don't really know where Harry's adventure is going to go after... Everything that happened in in book one,
0: yeah, Dobby's warning um, sort of think, builds up suspense, but it's kind of been forgotten yeah. at this point.
3: Yeah, so the fact that Lock, Lockhart is going to be the kind of the the fresh start at Hogwarts, it's it's definitely makes him more interesting as a character.
0: Yeah, that's true.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, Draco comes up and you know starts making fun and starts pissing people off like he does, and Ginny actually sticks up for Harry, and this is the first time Harry sort of hears Ginny say anything around him and of course Malfoy makes the joke about um Potter getting himself a girlfriend and of course this this can't stop here and it escalates because Lucius comes in and Arthur comes in and all of a sudden they're fighting and you know beating each other up and I thought this was a little out of character for Arthur almost because I wouldn't expect him to do that in the middle of Diagon Alley and I think it's also interesting that he does it after Lucius insults the Grangers but not his not after he insults his family.
1: Well, the exact quote is it says the company you keep Weasley and I thought your family could sink no lower. So, I think it's a little bit of both. I think Arthur's really proud of his family regardless of their, you know, their state in the world.
2: Mm. He seems like he seems like the kind of guy that would be very yeah, like very proud of his family, very proud of what they've accomplished, and very protective of his family and his friends. So if somebody insults his family and friends, he's going to do everything he can to defend them.
3: He's also very interested in muggles, obviously, and, you know, he doesn't like the pureblood attitude of insulting, you know, Muggleborns and yeah. and muggles especially. So the fact that he's sticking up for the Grangers is definitely not out of character, for Arthur. The fact that it's against Lucius just really shows how much of a Gryffindor Arthur is, I guess. It's showing how much, you know, he, he doesn't care about Lucius's status. He will stand up for his own rights and his own ideas.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess I was more thinking that, you know, he works for the ministry, he's a public official thinking um, he's out in public where people see him, but I guess it's just this, the Gryffindor side sort of takes over at the offense that's uh, from Lucius.
1: So you're thinking, like, why did he beat him up when he could just insult him with words?
0: Yeah, but of course. Yeah, but I mean, thinking about that Gryffindor aspect again, he's yeah. going to be much more t- to act than try to think of some, you know, clever comeback. Right. Yeah. But after this gets broken up, and you know, Molly is furious at Arthur, and um, she is she is pissed that he <clears throat> it, even as Arthur's <laughs> trying to like get a last question into. The, the Grangers as they try to leave. She just gives him a look and he knows he is done. And that's that's the <laughs> day for him. And Harry, you know, makes the last remark that he is not a fan of flu powder. So he does not think he's going to be using that that much in the future.
1: He's very picky about his uh, modes of transportation, isn't it, he? Yes. Is.
0: <laughs> but and that wraps up the fourth chapter. So and we it, it's not really um, a cliffhanging chapter, so it's kind of just like, eh, okay, that part's over.
3: But soon we'll be going back to Hogwarts, so adventure starts
0: soon. Right. Hopefully.
1: <laughs> so we're going to jump into our special feature now, which um, by request of many, many of you is Pottermore In-Depth. And we're going to talk about chapters three and four, obviously, which have a plethora of information in them. It's, I feel like it's the most information we've been given so far in just these couple of chapters. And we're going to start out in Chapter 3, Moment 1, where we learn about technology. So the first little bit we learn is that wizards don't really um, care for or use the internet. And there's even a quote that says, when you can communicate with friends and acquaintances by means of owl, fire, patronus, howler, enchanted objects such as coins, or apparate to visit them in person. Um, and then I was like, well, who really needs, I mean, Facebook
4: <laughs> in, in that
1: account, you know, when you can just email someone. Um How would you guys most communicate with your friends? You think what would be your preferred method?
0: I mean, I think in real
3: life or in the Wizarding World, if you were a
2: wizard,
0: I think it's easiest. Obviously, you can. Well, I mean, if you want to see them, I mean, you're apparating.
2: Um, Yeah, I think I would apparate a lot to go visit. But I really like writing, so I would probably send a lot of owls. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I often wish that someone would invent teleportation, so I would definitely go with apparating. As unpleasant as it sounds,
3: <laughs> personally. I like the idea of having like the the two way mirror. You know that um, we know that Sirius and James used to talk using the mirrors that Sirius gives Harry later on. Right. I think that's kind of like um, magical Skype almost.
1: Yeah, that would make it a lot easier, like for you and I, because you're so far away and I can't text yeah. <laughs> you or something. You know. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. that's cool.
1: Um, and in this section, we also learned that there was, um, albeit very briefly, a corporation whose goal was to create a wizarding television station. I know you brought this up before, Rosie. Um, it was yeah. called the British Wizarding Broadcasting Corporation.
0: Of course. Um, BWBC. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> oh, I didn't even catch that. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that's that's what that's what BBC stands for, British Broadcasting Corporation. Well, I knew that. Right. I
4: just,
1: for some <laughs> reason, didn't. Okay. Anyway, so... What kind of programs do you think would be on this station? What would they have? Hmm. Like-
0: I mean, they would, I would think they would mm-hmm. have at least some,
2: some televising of Quidditch mat- matches, probably. Yep. Ah. There might be something something like how you have the Food Network where they teach you how to make <laughs> <Yeah>. food. <laughs> like some sort yes. Of, <laughs> some sort of how to cook um, think, with magic. Think if it
0: was successful enough to when the reality TV boom happened and there was reality TV for
2: the Wizarding World. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Wizarding duels all the time Yes just Fights break down
1: What would that show be called?
2: I'm, like if there was a
0: X Factor for the wizard, Wizarding World And like Celestina Warbeck was
2: one of the judges <laughs>
1: <laughs> what, what would some of their tasks be? What would they have to do?
2: On which? For- on the like X Factor one?
0: or X like Factor's the- just singing Oh yeah, X, X Factor's singing I'm
1: thinking of the other one The um...
0: Britain or America's
2: Got Talent is what no, no, no,
1: no, no! I'm thinking of the the fear factor. That's the one I was thinking. Oh, of.
2: oh. I don't, I don't even want to think about oh, that. Oh gosh!
1: <laughs> no, I was thinking fear factor. It would like, be terrible. Kiss an ectromantula or something.
2: Oh my gosh! Ooh,
1: don't say that. <laughs> sorry, sorry, arachnophobia. <laughs> sorry, sorry,
0: nightmares ignited.
1: <clears throat> so then we move on to chapter three, moment three, and I love this. This is the the burrow chapter, and this is denoming the garden. And I love that they put this little game in. I thought it was so much fun. And I actually want to challenge you guys to a gnome tossing contest. Ooh. Person that, that tosses their gnome oh the furthest gets bragging rights for at least the rest of the book.
0: Hmm, okay, I'm gonna get mine up. I'm gonna <laughs> all right. try. All right, me too. If it'll, you know, <laughs> load. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay, mine's, all right. And I love it because you only get, what, like 90 seconds, I think? and it's hard i mean have you got you guys have done this before right
2: yeah yeah it's hard to get used to
0: oh shoot i I just missed one i haven't done it in a long time so it's gonna throw him into a wall oopsies oh whoops (laughs) oh god yeah you know what i hate is when
1: when they hit the wall oops oh no i missed him
0: oh i got a good one there how far i'll tell you when i'm done because maybe i get one better
1: oh no I try to miss the ones that are close to the wall because they're so hard to oh, throw shoot. over the
2: wall. Hit the wall. <laughs> oh, another <laughs> one into the wall.
0: <laughs> this is gonna be such all right.
1: F- oh, I got a good one. Oh, not I'm sure so the good.
0: editors are going to love editing this moment. Oh my gosh, stop moving! <laughs> so another one. Can- Thank you. Jeez.
1: Don't you hate that? Yes. Stupid. All right.
2: Ooh. But I thought
1: this was so brilliant. I mean, it- this is one of my favorite parts of the new Pottermore info. Oh, it's wow. fun. I haven't gotten any past the stump yet.
2: I got <laughs> one. My furthest so far is 11.7. Uh, 11.12. I just got no. a 12.
1: Oh, man. Matt's going to win. No,
2: oh, I've oh, beaten Matt. Oh,
1: that. wait. Oh. Man, I did a lot better the first time I played this. Can I just say? I guess I'm out of practice and my gnome tossing skills.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the best <laughs> I've ever done on this.
1: Oh, crap. I only have 16 seconds left. Hurry up. Give me one. Oh, another that was one. a
0: good one. Oh no! He didn't bounce. Dang it!
1: Come on.
2: I, I ran out of time.
1: Oh! 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 Yes. <sighs> uh No, that was bad.
0: <laughs> oh All wow. right, mine time's up.
1: Mine too. Me too. So mine my fur, my go. furthest was ten point four six, which is so bad.
0: My what Were you Matthew again? Twelve. Wow. I think I win. I got 13.36. Oh, oh, man. Oh, oh, nice. Yes.
1: I did so much better the first time I played. I forget what I got, but it was a lot better than 10.46. Yeah.
0: Ha. Crap.
1: All right, well, Caleb, you win.
0: Lucky yes. you. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Rosie, now did get... you did you play?
1: No, I haven't actually got there on Pottermore yet. I need to catch up. Well, it's a lot of fun. You'll have to let us know... Uh, Yeah, and guys
0: out there, see who can beat Mm -hmm. me. Because I think that is the farthest I've gotten was 13.36.
1: Yeah, that's (laughs) really good. Those are some good gnome tossing skills. Yeah. Good job. Okay, so moving on to the next little bit. uh, We've got Chapter 4, Moment 3. And this is in Borgin and Burks. And the information is on Malfoy, on Draco specifically. And I love this because we finally learn what his wand is. I mean, I think we knew before... Did we?
4: Mm, I, don't I don't remember. I don't think so. I
1: think we knew parts of it, but not official, right? Anyway, so it's yeah. a Hawthorne um, wand with unicorn hair. It's 10 inches and it's springy. So I just wanted to read the Hawthorne description since none of us had Hawthorne when we talked about wands in the first book. So it says the wand maker Gregorovitch wrote that Hawthorne makes a strange, contradictory wand as full of paradoxes as the tree that gave it birth, whose leaves and blossoms heal and yet those cut branches smell of death. While I disagree with many of Gregorovitch's conclusions, we concur that, about Hawthorne wands which are complex and intriguing in their nature, just like the owners who best suit them. Hawthorne wands may be particularly suited to healing magic but they are also adept at curses, and I have generally observed that the Hawthorne wand seems most at home with a conflicting nature, or with a witch or wizard passing through a period of turmoil. Hawthorne is not, easily, is not easy to master, however, and I would only ever consider placing a Hawthorne wand in the hands of a witch or wizard of proven talent, or the consequences may be dangerous. Hawthorne wands have a notable peculiarity. Their spells can, when badly handled, backfire. And I thought it was great. It, I feel like given all we know about Draco, yeah, it's the perfect wand for him.
0: Definitely. Especially, yeah. you know, as he progresses through the series.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. The, the part that I did find interesting is that his core is unicorn hair. And it says, you know, that the wands with unicorn cores are generally the most difficult to turn to the dark arts. Um, mm. That they're faithful and they remain strongly attached to the first owner. So, I mean, I guess that makes sense because Draco had such a hard time actually being, like, a baddie, like a full-on baddie.
3: Yeah. It's interesting, also, that it says that they are faithful to their first owner, because, I mean, Draco gets disarmed so many times, and, I mean, Harry eventually gets his wand, and obviously with the Elder Wand thing, that becomes really important, Um, but the idea that his first wand would always remain loyal to him is quite nice. Do we know what happens to Draco's wand?
2: Do we ever find out? Um, doesn't,
3: I know that within the movie he asks for it back, but I'm not entirely sure if that happens in the book.
0: Well, no, doesn't they? Doesn't Harry or Hermione end up with it? I think Harry does, right?
3: Yeah, Harry uses it in in Deathly Hallows, and Draco corners him and asks oh, for it right. back because gotcha. his mother's wand doesn't quite work for him. Right. But he obviously doesn't get because isn't he's using
1: Draco's wand when he is dueling with Voldemort? Yes. Yeah, because his own wand... Right,
0: because he won the allegiance of that wand.
1: Right, so what happened to it after that?
0: Maybe Harry gave it back? He might have.
1: Maybe. I don't know. I was just Mm -hmm. curious if we knew. So, Um, okay, and then the information about Draco specifically goes to say that um, he grew up as an only child in the Malfoy Manor and... Pretty much from the first time he could talk, it was made clear that he was very special, a really gifted wizard, um, not only because he was a pureblood and a wizard, but because he's a member of the Malfoy family. So I was thinking about what, what do you think that that brings? What, what do you think the Malfoy name actually brings to the power? Is it just because it's so old and ancient, or is it something else, like an inherent something?
0: I mean, I just think you know, as as the Pottermore info continues, it's just through history a very um, upward family. They've always been in the higher, you know, ranks of Wizarding society, and it's just kind of. I mean, it's obviously been passed down, even in modern times.
1: Okay, so so you think it's more of like a um, um, like economical power as opposed to like an actual physical strength.
0: Yeah, I I don't think necessarily, like, you know, they're more magically uh, able than others, but...
3: Mm -hmm. No, yeah, it's the idea of the Malfoy line has always been kept pure. It's the same as the Blacks and, you know, the Gaunts and all of those, the names that seem so kind of important to purebloods. To be associated with that name is to have that importance that that line um, gives you.
1: Right, okay. Um... I thought this next part was really interesting. It says that, you know, Draco was raised in uh, in a time of regret that the Dark Lord had not succeeded, you know, in taking over the wizarding community. But that one of the most persistent um, kind of rumors and whatever is that Harry was going to be a great dark wizard. And I thought it was really interesting that Lucius himself, you know, was a supporter of this rumor and that he was really hoping to have, like, another master in Harry.
0: Right, yeah. And that's pretty much why you know, or maybe why Draco sort of extends his friendship when Harry first arrives at Hogwarts, and maybe that sort of influence from what he heard at home from his dad.
2: He just kind of assumes that that he they should be friends because of all the stuff that he hears, and that like he kind of I think he kind of assumes that Harry's just going to accept his friendship right away.
3: Yeah, because you know Harry's important and Draco's important, therefore they should be important together. Yeah, but Draco kind of doesn't understand that Harry doesn't know that Draco's important.
0: And not even, and doing all this, not even considering, you know, the grounds of Harry's story, you know, why he was killed, you know, the fact that, you know, Voldemort killed his father, his mother put herself in front of him, you know, it's, you know, when you consider that, you wouldn't really guess that Harry would, you know, rise to be the next Dark Lord, but that's sort of not even in Lucius and therefore Draco's mind as they sort of consider this possibility.
3: Right. I think they assume that if Harry was able to defeat Voldemort as a baby, he must have the kind of power that is corrupting. He he has the kind of so much magic that he he must use it to be powerful himself otherwise it's just a waste. Right. Right, which feeds into the,
1: you know, what we were talking about um I think it was on the last episode that how much exactly does Lucius know about the diary? And does he know it's a horcrux and obviously not because
3: where was I going with that?
2: Well, he maybe he wouldn't give it up so easily if he knew it was a Horcrux. Like, put yeah. It.
3: Are you wondering if he thinks that Harry is a Horcrux as well? Like, do you, do you think the dark magic is kind of transferred? I don't think that Malfoy would have been aware of that.
1: No, I don't know where I was going with that, but that makes sense. Okay cool. <laughs> um, but obviously they they quickly realize that Harry is not going to be you know a quote unquote better Voldemort. So um, they don't become friends, you know basically Harry refuses to be Draco's friend and that's that. Um, but the other bit of information that I thought was really interesting is uh, that Draco had a bunch of different last names or surnames before it was Malfoy. And I particularly love that uh, one of them was Spinks. I
4: don't know.
1: <laughs> it just sounds like a really funny last name. Yeah. The other options were Smart or what is that like? Spongen. Spongen. Very interesting.
4: <laughs>
1: and of course, as we talked about on the Dragon Show, his his Christian name comes from the constellation, you know, the dragon. And and she points out that his wand core is unicorn. So he's so. very magical. <clears throat> right. Very magical all around. <laughs> so then we move on. Uh, chapter four, moment four, is all information about the Malfoy family, the whole history. There is so much information here that it's just kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It says that the Malfoy name comes from the old French, and it translates as bad faith.
3: I thought that was... Really, is. I love this detail. Yeah, um, I know I've talked a lot about the the kind of Old English and medieval stuff today, but this really ties into it again. Um, I don't know if you guys know about the kind of rivalry between England and France.
0: Yeah, of course.
3: Have you guys heard of that? Okay, good. Um, it just it ties in so well as you know, Harry is the great English hero. He is like the King Arthur style um, traditional English hero, and then to have. His villain, his greatest enemy, Malfoy, be French. It just works so perfectly within that kind of ancient rivalry idea.
0: Yeah, and just just the way that Rowling was able to write. I mean, I'm obsessed with the Malfoy family, and I was even more so after reading this. Just the way she was able to tie it into real history. I remember reading this yeah. when um, the Pottermore came out. What was it like a month or so ago? Um, just reading it, and I. Th- had to catch myself because i felt like i was reading real history um with the mouth, like it made the malfoys seem like a real family like tied Mm -hmm. in the way she wrote it into history was was mind-blowing
1: yeah obligatory genius moment right right here (laughs) we're having it we're having it right now right right exactly yeah how they how it talks about you know that they came over with the invading norman army and it yeah it's just brilliant Mm -hmm. um Let's see. It says that the, the Malfoys have always had kind of a reputation hinted at by, by, hinted at by their not altogether complimentary surname of being a slippery bunch, uh, which I thought was really cool. Like everything Rosie just said, totally true. Right.
2: Uh,
1: the Malfoys have never been above integrating themselves with a non-magical community when it suits them. Which, which is
2: interesting because they hate on the Muggles so much.
3: Yeah. Yeah. How much of that is Voldemort's influence, though? I mean, how much of the the current hatred of pure blood is all to do with? Uh, sorry, of um, Muggleborns and Mudbloods is all to do with Voldemort's pure blood ideal. Without that influence, he
0: shifted the paradigm of what is expected. Yeah, that
3: would make sense. Yeah. Without that influence, would it have been any different?
1: Well, it does go on to say that because of their dealings with the, you know, the, mon- the non-magic community, that that's why they're one of the richest wizarding families in Britain, and that it's also been rumored that for many years that um, they've kind of dabbled in Muggle currency and assets, so probably like buying and selling property and stocks and bonds, that type of thing. Definitely,
4: which,
1: sure. Which seems, I don't
3: know, I mean, in character, but again, out of character. Right I don't know, I think in character for the family to try and get the gold, but maybe out of character for the current um current mouth right right yeah,
1: and of of course, we also learned that they were in opposition of the statute of secrecy when that was um proposed to be written in nineteen or sixteen ninety two um due in part to the fact that they would have had to stop dealing with muggles so much because it says in here that they were you know they dated muggles and they they were friends with muggles which too i thought it's really interesting i can't picture the malfoys (laughs) i guess i guess having like a like a a ball at their house and having muggles there but
3: how can they say that they are purebloods if they had this muggle history it's interesting i don't think they can (laughs) No.
0: but they do anyway. I mean, they'll as long as they can pitch it and make people believe it, they'll go with and it. Nobody nobody questions it, so. Right, because they are the Malfoys. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, does it say anything in here about actually like procreating with muggles? I don't think it does.
3: Maybe there are secret Malfoys that are muggle-born all around England. <laughs> hmm.
1: Yeah, it doesn't say. But obviously once the statue came into be, you know, of course they they let everything go and they were the, the biggest supporters of it of all. And right. I thought this was interesting, too, that it said uh, no Malfoy has ever aspired to be the role of Minister of Magic.
0: Of course, they'd rather, much rather be behind the scenes. That's where the real power is.
1: Yeah. I suppose being the the, the shakers and the movers. Yeah, and it's not attached
0: to their name, but they're still getting what they want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's the bit I was looking for. It says, um, since the Statue of Secrecy... Since it came came to be no Malfoy has married a muggle or muggle born, although it says um, the family has, however, ensued the somewhat dangerous practice of intermarrying within a small pool of pure bloods,
0: yeah, which Gross. also you know makes a good parallelism <laughs> between you know royalty that we we know from history, so
3: yeah
1: at least it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I guess that we know of right hopefully not yeah, right. yeah and of it you know, and then we just get a brief history of of Lucius and where he came I mean we kind of already know all this through the books um that he was a death leader and he evaded prison and so forth and then it says that Draco, who was saved by Harry in the bottle the Battle of Hogwarts, currently lives in the family estate in uh, Wiltshire yep Wiltshire
3: Wiltshire. Yeah.
1: You say it so much more elegantly than I can. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
3: Wiltshire. That's okay.
1: So yeah, I, th- I thought that this, uh, I know we kind of moved through that quickly, but there's so much there that I think it's just great information. I love reading about the Malfoys. I feel like it humanizes definitely
0: them. Too. Yeah. And, and, I mean, yeah. it's definitely my favorite new content. Well, maybe aside from um, McGonagall's story, but so much information that she gave us about the Malfoys that I've been waiting for it for so long. So it was great.
3: It just shows how amazing she is at world building. Like she's managed to create this entire world that fits so perfectly within our own world. And
2: be able to. You can
3: pick any time period and just know that there is a wizard there somewhere pulling strings. And it's generally a Malfoy.
2: And even to get like this in depth with families, like it's just it's so cool that how she was able to pull all that together. And it works so well.
3: Yeah. I do wonder how much she knew before writing for Pottermore, or how much she's adding since. Yeah, I was. Because I, I doubt she will have all of this when she was writing about Draco and Lucius. Yeah, I
1: was just thinking about that. How much of this she already had, and how much she has recently written. Yeah.
3: That would be. But I don't
1: mind either way.
3: It's perfect. Oh so. right, right. Of course. <laughs>
1: and I'm wondering. I mean, aside from Dean, who we know had an extensive backstory, who else do you think she has information like this on? I mean, obviously, we hope for everybody and everything under the sun, but it's yeah. just not possible.
0: Yeah, I would like to know more about the Potter family, like James's parents. Yeah, yeah And sort sure. of going back to that Peverell line.
3: I think she would have a bit more detail on pretty much everyone on the Black family tree. Like, she wouldn't just put a name on there for no reason. She would know who that person is and how they are connected to everyone else. Right. That includes the Potters and the Weasleys and how everything's, you know, branched out. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, very good. I, I'm, I'm looking forward very much to the, the next couple chapters of Pottermore. I really hope that they are as Whenever good as these and out. that they come out soon.
2: <laughs> good grief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please. No Pottermore more reading, gods. please. Yes. All over it. Give us more. Give us more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and with a plea like that, how could they not? That's exactly. right. Exactly.
2: <laughs>
3: cool. Okay, so Noah isn't here again this week, so it's back to me to be the posed question of the week. Um, and I want to say, that thinking back to our, our earlier discussion and what we were just saying with the Malfoys, um, I really want to investigate the idea of pure-blood wizards as the kind of old money idea. Um, and to what extent does wizarding gold actually affect wizarding status? We've we've just heard that the the Malfoys were dealing with muggles and um trying to get as much money as possible, so to them money is power. Um but do we have any other examples of gold influencing popularity other than the Malfoys within the wizarding world? Or is it or is magic and blood status more important within their society? And if so, how rare is it that we get a society that values something more than gold in our world? Hmm. Cool. That's, That's, a really That's a really interesting thought question.
1: Yeah. yeah it <laughs> yeah i'll be i'm um, I'm excited to hear what what everybody thinks i'm not sure i i need to think about that one in order to even form an opinion on it i don't know
0: sure so, yeah give us some good thoughts on that
3: <laughs> yeah good yeah so if you our listeners have any thoughts about it um as usual this question will be posted as its own news topic on our archives so just reply to that within a comment or go onto our forums and discuss it there yeah
1: and uh we want to thank uh Matthew Ziff again for being here. You were a great a great host. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you guys for having me. It's a lot of fun.
1: Oh good. I'm glad. Good. Our pleasure.
0: <laughs> so with that, we want to toss it out to you guys. If you ever want to be on the show just like Matthew or previous guest hosts, you there's a couple of ways for you to be featured on the show. You can first submit content on the website or um you know, email something to us or even give us good thoughts on the forums. As you hear at the beginning of the show, we always recap with some thoughts from you guys. Um, and if you're emailing a clip, make sure to send it to um, aloha podcast at gmail.com. Which is also where you should submit. Um, you know, if you're doing the clip for to be a guest host, and just a couple of things to keep in mind for that, you need to have appropriate audio and recording equipment. It's really important that you have that so you sound really great whenever our editors get your track. Okay.
1: And if in the meantime you just want to, you know, stay in touch with us, hear the goings-on of our lives, you can follow us on Twitter at Mn or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Dumbledore. And for those of you on Tumblr, you can find us at MNAlohomora.tumblr.com. And don't forget we also have a phone number. We get so many great voicemails. and In fact, we have a really great one that I cannot wait to play for the movie show just saying. You can call us at 206-GO-ALBUS. It's 206-462-5287. And again, our website is lohamora.mugglenet.com, And our email is podcast at gmail.com. And I just wanted to throw out real quickly, we still have about 10 t-shirts from LeakyCon to sell. So if you're interested in a t-shirt, we have smalls and large and I think two mediums left. Um, Shoot us an email at podcast at gmail.com and we'll get you information on purchasing.
3: They're available in the UK and Europe as well. I have some on this side of the pond. So don't be afraid if you don't live in America, you can order them as well. Right. Um, We also now have a brand new app available, as some of you have already found out. Um, It's available in the US for both iPhone and Android, but in the UK it's only iPhone at the moment. Um, We're very sorry about that, we're trying to work on it, but we don't entirely know what's happening with Android in the UK. Um, It's $1.99 in America, or 99p here in the UK. And it's got some awesome interviews that we did in LeakyCon. Um, as kind of extra features that go along with the show so we've got mark ashiro hank green um lev grossman Gr- sorry lev grossman and minna Lima, who are the artists from the harry potter movies um, and there's transcripts there's bloopers alternate endings to our um podcasts host vlogs and much much more so check out our promotional video and um, the link is in the show notes so yeah, check us out and definitely download the app because it's definitely worth it. Absolutely.
0: And also don't forget to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Make sure you're following us there because it's a quick way to get updates and it's obviously free. And that about does it for us this week on Alohomora. Uh, thanks again for Matthew for joining us and to kind of close it out, I'm Caleb Graves.
1: I'm Rosie Morris. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 11 of Alohomora.
0: Open the Dumbledore.
5: Alohomora. It's the fandom's hottest new global reread. And that's my phone. Alohomora. Woo! <laughs> yeah. And now, ooh, boiled eggs. Ooh. Read every book. Saw every movie. Kids were playing Quidditch in the park across the street last summer. <laughs> I know. Hermione. Hermione. She just went Jewish on me. Hermione! Your father's feet hurt! (laughs) (coughs) Alohomora! Alohomora! New, returning, young, old, and even the permanently spell-damaged Death Eaters. Bertie Botts. Bertie Botts. Bertie Botts. (laughs) Is that good? Is three sickles and ten nuts the same amount of money? Is that it or not? You so don't want to be left out. So hurry. Head over. Nargles are doing what? Oh, so that's why the phone lines are down. You want me to stick it up a little bit more? Sorry, we suspect Nargles. Sorry, we suspect Nargles. Sorry, we suspect Nargles. A little more reflectively? Sorry, we suspect Nargles. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Was it good? Ah, That's pretty good. It sucked.